Is this the show? This is the show. That could be. Could whatever. be. Whatever. I think this is the show. Um, <laughs> why not? It's it's just it's the silly it's silly apple season and like again it feels like we've had a year's worth of news right and it's like I know there's more there's more coming including clearly the two most interesting iPhones which uh, again yep. I wrote a lot a lot about the I know it's bad like my my iPhone reviews tend to be long and I knew I had a lot to say about the event before I even wrote about the reviews and my thoughts on the event and just the stuff that they announced. So it's like you, and then when you get like these review units, you have an embargo and you're not allowed to write about them until the embargo passes. And my thoughts on the event were taking me so long that I had already gotten the review units. (laughs) And so I had to be careful that my, you know, cause I, I, you know, it's, I don't think Apple's going to take me to court, you know, (laughs) if like information I could only know, could only glean from having started using them worked its way into, uh, you know, the pre-embargo piece. But, you know, you want to play by the rules, you know, it's, it's being honest. Uh, yeah, you could be, you could maybe be informed by some of the things. Like you could have a confirm a suspicion, but you can't go beyond that. Like I, I didn't get the iPhones in advance, but I got the iPad Air in advance, and it was like, yeah. suffice it to say, I had some opinions about the A14 that were informed by the fact that right. I had one. Right? right, even though I didn't have an, a phone, I had a device with it. But yeah, you want to play fair with all of that. But the, I really wanted to get some stuff off my chest that you, I felt like I could write. I could write about the pricing. Uh, I had a lot of thoughts to say sure. about the pricing. And the charger being in the box, which is sort of related to pricing, because let's face it, you know, everybody's making the same point that Apple says, hey, this is great for the environment. And a lot of people are saying, no, this is about cheaping out on the, on the charger. And the truth is it's both, right? It is both clearly cheaper, however much it costs Apple to make all the chargers that they put in a box and to make bigger boxes and to ship those boxes. It is clearly cheaper to do it without, but it's also better for the environment if people only buy chargers they actually need. So it's both true, but I wanted to get that out of the way before I actually wrote the official iPhone 12 review. So that, cause I knew I had so much to say. I, and I know it's bad when I feel like, Hey, I have a lot of thoughts about this because sometimes I think, Hey, this one's going to be short (laughs) and it's still long. When I feel like it's going to be long when I start, I know it's going to be trouble. And I kept thinking as I was trying to like bring it home and wrap it up, these are not the two most interesting iPhones of the year. These are the two that are not that they're not interesting, but they're not the most interesting. Yeah. No, I think you're right. The outliers, I got to the end of my review and it was like to be continued almost because these are the, I would say the two models that we have are the ones that will sell the best. But they're also, not only are they kind of boring because they're so similar to what's come before and they're not the weird outliers that have fascinating quirks about them, but also they're so much like one another in a way that last year the 11 and 11 Pro weren't. Yeah. So that they're, they're even more similar. So it's fascinating because I would say the 12 and the 12 Pro are the two most important iPhones, but are they the most interesting no they're not right. <laughs> they're not and and that's it's just a strange thing to have to have to deal with when you're writing about yeah. them and you know we'll get to them later in the show in the official iphone 12 segment mm. um, okay <laughs> but i will say this just up front it do you think strategically that 
Apple, how much of this timing of the release of these phones? I mean, clearly the whole thing is a little bit late compared to usual um, because of all the delays from COVID-19. I mean, Apple has even said so, right? They said so in July or three months ago in the last earnings. They were like, look, you know, our usual schedule's disrupted. We'll be, you know, new phones this year will be a little late. And it's extraordinary for them to even acknowledge what everybody expects to be true, that there are new phones, right? Like that's part of it. Everybody knows Apple's secretive, but they're so secretive and they're just tight. It's not even secretive. They're just so tight-lipped that officially they don't even acknowledge that they plan to release new phones, (laughs) Like right. the official Apple party line each year until invitations go out for the September event, until the moment that they send press invitations, their official line is these, you know, last year's iPhones are our iPhones and they're yeah. our best iPhones ever. Yeah. You don't know. Maybe we have no more phones. <laughs> right. Maybe this is it. Right. <laughs> so I, do you, how much of it do you think is like... I I think that in 2017, the extreme delay of the iPhone 10 was just that they were so pressing themselves on the limits of what they could make, like yeah. their first OLED screen and first edge to edge thing, and and so many at Face ID and all this new stuff, and it didn't ship until November, um, really late compared to the iPhones 8, which were really just a very linear evolution of the iPhone 7, which is the iPhone 6 Edge and the iPhone 6. Um, The next year, it was the opposite, where the XS and XS Pro shipped more or less on what you would think is the usual schedule a couple of weeks after the event, and it was the iPhone XR that was late. Right. Um, And then last year, they, you know, like, got their crap together (laughs) And everything, the iPhone 11 and the 11s Pro all shipped on September 20th. Um, I don't, you know, so it's been all, it's been different every year. This year, obviously, there's COVID. So barring the initial delay of COVID, do you think that they wanted to ship all four at once or they always planned, even if this year had 2020, if everybody thought, boy, 2020 is the most normal, boring year of mankind? Do you think that they would have still shipped these on on a delayed schedule? I don't. And that isn't me thinking that they don't want to. I think if they could wave a magic wand and announce and ship simultaneously all iPhone models, I think they would. I think there are just some, it's not just COVID. I think there are production mm. issues and logistics issues in having all of those units And I think maybe in the case of this year, they're also prioritizing the ones that are going to sell the most and loading as many of those, front-loading those, making more of them, Mm -hmm. shipping more of them so that they can get those out there because they're the most, they're the biggest sellers, presumably. You never know, but presumably. And then you follow with the others. But I think if they could, just all practicalities and logistics aside, plan the perfect rollout, I think they would probably want to roll them out all simultaneously just because from a customer perspective, and I do think they care about this, it would be a lot easier to say, go online, yeah. pick your phone, and it'll show up on this date. Yeah. And it doesn't matter which one you pick because you get up, you get in a situation where people are like, well, do I want a 12? Do I want the mini? I want to try the mini, but I can't because it's not in the stores yet. Yeah. And so I don't know. And like, it's, it's a lot clearer. They just want you to buy a phone, right? right? So if you know about all four of them and you could go to the store and handle them if you wanted to, if your store is open, then 
that's going to sell a phone to you. And instead, you get this weird kind of in between. So I, I, I don't think logistically they can do that is the thing. And that's besides COVID. I think it's just, I think it's probably their ideal. Yeah. Their dream is to do that. But like, they sell so many phones. It, the volumes are so amazing that I think that even Apple can't pack the supply chain that much at once. I think 2017 might have been the exception. And I think it, the iPhone 10 did ship so much later than the iPhones 8 because it was just harder to produce and it was just really yeah, I think it wasn't it wasn't ready. But I think even <laughs> if it had been ready, I think they might have staggered that one by 2 weeks to so that the iPhone 8 didn't get lost in the shuffle. Like I think they still would have shipped the iPhone 8 first, but maybe shipped the iPhone 10 2 weeks later. So that the Maybe. iPhone, I mean, so that the iPhone eight got its moment in the sun, because price wise, they just knew that that was more in the budget for most people, you know. And right. That could it could be. Maybe it could be. I I think what what's funny is there's a question of how you want to market this, like literally market it, take it to market, and there's how do you want to promote it, and they've sh- they've shown like. Literally, they announced in September a product that shipped simultaneous with a product that they announced in October, mm. like the which gave the iPad Air its due and its moment in the sun, and they staggered the review embargoes. So the phone embargo was on a Tuesday, and the iPad embargo was on a Wednesday. Yes, the September products embargo was later than the October products. I don't know, but so there is an argument to be made that staggering everything like that and doing multiple events is actually better because everything gets its moment in the sun, but you do risk sort of fatigue yeah. after a certain point. So it's a, it's a trick of like, what's the, the sweet spot of simplicity in terms of ordering and availability and clarity in terms of what, cons- what customers expect and also like how you, what's the sweet spot with the press where it's, where it's just enough to get the maximum because they want to maximize promotion through product reviews and how do you do that how many events do you hold apparently three how many products do you roll out at one time and you know and they, they're probably experimenting a little bit too i mean some of it is is probably artificial where they're they're like because you know they're going to get two waves of iphone reviews just like they did with the 10r just like they did with the 10 so that's good that's more press for them right and it, yeah, so part of it makes me think that it's, you know, I, I, three weeks isn't that long in the grand scheme of things, you know. It is for the, the, the people I pity and, you know, they're, they're listening to us right now. They're the enthusiasts who really do want to, if they're going to get a new phone, they really are most likely to want to order right away. They're the people who know, they know that like the, when Apple's online orders start, it's uh, like, what is it now? Midnight? Eastern time. Oh, or no, I think it's like, I think it's like 9 a.m. Oh, no, Eastern no, or 6 a.m. Eastern or something yeah. like that. It's like a good time for the East Coast and a right, bad time, bad for, the time West Coast for the West Coast. Now. And it used to be the other way around, right? Yeah. Where it was midnight, uh, midnight. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Midnight used to be midnight West Coast and 3 a.m. Right. East Coast, which was literally the middle of the night for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who know that. <laughs> Are the people who most want to hear, like, although the, those early order times always happen before the reviews come out, but people who do that, they want to mm-hmm. hear, hey, is the mini too small? You know, is, is the, is this new camera sensor in the, the max worth 
having a phone that maybe I think is too big, but I take so many photos and it is my family's uh, point and shoot camera that maybe it's worth it. They want to know that. And like, you don't get to wait. And then maybe when these reviews finally drop eventually for those phones, they'll say, ah, now I, I really do just want the regular iPhone 12. I could have ordered three weeks ago. <laughs> right. So yeah. I, I, you know, it's frustrating for the enthusiasts by next you know, by the middle of December, it's all in the past, and it's yes, just the most, new iPhone 12s. Most people will just drift into an Apple store again if their store is open and they can drift in in December and then throughout next year, and they'll have all the phones and they'll just buy a phone. It's not that big a deal. It's it's it is more for the people who are super intense about right. it, like we are for now. But it, it's an interesting question of like if they could do anything, would they still choose to do it the way they're doing it now? And, you know, I think I think some stuff they would probably choose to do differently, but you work with what you've got. Like right. they and you do prioritize the most important products. Yeah. Well, let's just get it. Let's just say the most important thing on the agenda is to congratulate the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mm, no. <laughs> Actually, you know, okay, so you and I have a friend who's a big Dodger fan, Greg Noss. Um, <laughs> poor guy. I feel like and, I felt like he was going to die. And the Dodgers have, let's just, sorry for the sports talk, everybody, but the Dodgers, let's just say, have probably had the best team in baseball for like five years yeah. now, and they always lose in the playoffs. And as a Giants fan, I take great delight in the failure of the Los Angeles Dodgers because they're our rival, right? And yet, I also feel really bad for their fans and for people like like our friend Greg. And... The, you know, the moment for me, because there are 30 baseball teams, right? So the moment when it was 30 years since the Dodgers had won a World Series, I kind of said to myself, okay. like Because that's when you know, you're, not getting literally, your, you're not getting your due, right? <laughs> yeah, like literally, it's been 30 years. If you If you went one at a time, it would be your turn now. After 30 to get one again. And you've had, you've won the division eight years in a row and all that stuff. So, so on that level, um, I'm okay with it. I feel like they were a great team. Mookie Betts is an amazing player. They're, they're, if they weren't the Dodgers, I would be, they, they were so fun to watch. The Rays were fun to watch too. I, I, it was a, I thought a great World Series after such a weird season. I thought it was an entertaining postseason. Loved it. The Dodgers are never going to be my favorite. And that's an understatement, but I thought it was fine. And then also in the back of my mind is just a jerk who loves the Giants. I um, am amused by the fact that the, the year the Dodgers finally won it all, their fans didn't get to go <laughs> no, to and there's, a single game at Dodger Stadium. And there's no so, parade. And there's no parade. Yeah. Well, 2020, right? As a Giants fan, you're like, see, there yeah. it is. 2020, something else bad happened. But I, I'm happy for my friends who are the long-suffering. Like, look, as a fan of the San Francisco Giants, the Giants until 2010 had never won a World Series in San Francisco, and they, it had been more than 50 years. Right. So, I I feel the pain of somebody who has for most or all of their life never seen their team win anything. And so I'm happy for them, even though I, you know, I was pulling for the Rays because, you know, not only do they have a pitcher named Snell, <laughs> but they're not the Dodgers. But it's it's okay. I'm I'm happy for, for Greg and all the other Dodger fans out there. I, we were texting about uh, Blake Snell, who is the, yeah. the biggest Snell. Cy Young Award winning starting pitcher for yeah. the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, and the closest equivalent I have was a star third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays while we were growing up named Kelly Gruber. Kelly Gruber, yeah, also, absolutely. Also one of only two uh, male Kellys who I could think of. Because wasn't the guy in the Bad News Bears named Kelly? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I just grew, so I grew up thinking – my first thought was, uh, Kelly, that's a girl's name. And then, and I associated it with Kelly, that's a name somebody has to be a great baseball player. <laughs> K 
Kelly Gruber. Sure. <laughs> but it always hurt me as a Yankees fan that like the, the best Gruber to play baseball was on the division rival, uh, Toronto Blue Right. Teams. So who do you think is, so, so that, I, I I kid you because I know how Giants and Dodgers fans feel about each yeah, other. That's Do the beauty. You, it's like you, you're never going to cheer the Red Sox winning, although right. when they did win the first time, you're like, okay, well, you know, I'm happy for their no. fans. Maybe a little bit, but but they're the enemy, and 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 so you cheer against them. It's like reverse fandom yeah. there. Well, yeah. who do you think? I, I who do you think? This is my question. Who do you think? Who do you think is a bigger rivalry, Dodgers, Giants, or Yankees, Red Sox? I think it's probably Yankees Red Sox honestly and uh, some of that is is the I think both fan bases well there is a dynamic that's similar which is that I think I think the Red Sox fans hate the Yankees more than the Yankees hate the Red right. Sox that's very true and I think the Giants hate the Dodgers more than the Dodgers hate the Giants honestly it's one of those things like people in San Francisco you know we, we chant beat LA and stuff like that right, right. I don't think LA cares right, right? like whatever there's no beat SF chant right, right. It, it is they're the bigger city they're the bigger region they you know and, and I think that there's that aspect of it but they're both great rival I love rivalries I try to explain them to other people this is actually what I love about rivalries is you try to explain it logically to somebody about why do you hate them and there's no answer like i can't explain why why did i'm a i'm a, a uc berkeley a cal fan as well and it's like i hate stanford stanford is one of the finest educational institutions in the world i hate them yeah, right. why do i hate them i don't hate them for any reason other than they're they're stanford right and we're cal we hate them that's there's no logic right. don't look for logic in it right it's and you know it it really it really does seem preposterous when you think of it as an institution yeah, of no, it's higher, ridiculous. as a great institution of higher learning that's you know curing diseases yeah. and and doing absolutely great work in computer science etc and so forth and uh, I think I, I was thinking about this when I knew you were going to be on the show, and my answer is I think that they're both maximum rivalries. There's like a maximum amount of sports rivalry that. you can have, and I think that the perceived differences are the differences between the East Coast and California, the West Coast, and that Californians are just generally nicer people, and so like the maximum, like when San Francisco fans think they're being really mean to the Dodgers. <laughs> It's just as mean as we. It's our our, our meanness dial right. only goes up that far, so we think we've maxed it out right. for us. Boston fans and East Coast fans are like, "What? Are you kidding me? That's like a that's like my kid's softball game." You know, um, that's fair. That's fair. I love a good rivalry, though. I think I think it's great, and it, it seems mean, and it's totally illogical. But I do think, um, having grown up in the midst of a couple of them, I think it I think it adds a whole level of of kind of spice and delight. And and when every and I know on the outside it seems weird. Like I I read about Cubs fans and and Cardinals fans and things yeah. like that, and I'm like, I don't get it, but I get it. Like I I don't see it because I find those teams. They're like okay, they're teams, but if you're in it, it's just a magical thing. You've got. If if sports really is about tribalism, you gotta have you gotta have a rival. Otherwise, you know that that just you gotta be fully tribal. You have to have a rival. Yeah, that Come on. The subtext for me as a Yankee fan watching the the World Series um, was the delight in the suffering of Red Sox fans watching Mookie Betts establish himself oh, as right as clearly the only to me i love aaron judge i think aaron judge is great i wouldn't trade him for anybody uh including the two people i'm about to mention but to me even a casual fan has to admit that the argument for the best baseball player in in the game right now is either mike trout or mookie betts and there's really uh, to me that I, I don't see how you could argue for anybody else 
did you read uh, Joe Joe Posnanski at the Athletic actually wrote an essay that that he said he said maybe Mookie Betts is a better player, the best player in baseball, and not Mike Trout. And his point was, let's argue about it, right? Because it feels like we could have an argument now. And the tragedy, of course, for the Red Sox is that they knew how good he was, right. but apparently their team, who is owned by a billionaire right. who also owns like a Premier League soccer team, and like they just decided they didn't want to pay him, right? Even though he's the best player right. and young it and could have been their star for the next 10 years. And so they just got rid of him. Right. It was amazing. It wasn't like they underestimated him. It wasn't like, no. oh, he flourished after they traded him. It wasn't like uh, they just didn't have the money. Like they just can't, can't come up with the dough. They, they just didn't want to spend the money. And that, yeah, it's like Babe Ruth all over really again. That's, they sold off Babe Ruth to the Yankees because they the, he was going to cost too much money and they didn't want to pay him. And, and, and he was uh, he was just spectacularly good in World Series. It was he was he was he he single handedly I think won a couple of games yeah, in the postseason yeah. with his defensive plays and with his hitting. Yeah. And it was it was delightful to watch, even though he's a Dodger because he's such he brings such joy to the field. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it's got to be extra glee for a for a Yankee fan to see that all happen. Because literally, they, they I don't think the Dodgers would have won the World Series without him. Yeah. So, no, I don't think thanks, so either. Red Sox. Well, and I, they definitely would not have beaten the Braves. No way. There's yeah, no yeah. way they would have beaten the Braves to get there. So, yeah. Uh, thank you to the Red Sox for the Dodgers <laughs> World Series championship <laughs> and for getting Mookie Betts into the National League away oh, from the Yankees. Thank you so much. Uh, but I will say this before we move on. Let me just say this. I, I, in the run up to this election, which is coming out a few days after this ex- episode is going to drop, it has also occurred to me a point you just made a few minutes ago that we, it, we as human beings like to have rivalries. And one of the reasons when, when people who don't like sports say, well, I like sports. It's just a game and it's nonsense. It is, it is fun to invest yourself and to care about something where the stakes ultimately are nothing, right? There yes. really is, if, you know, no, the, the, the fine people, the, you know, 12, 13, 14, how many fans there are down in Tampa who like to watch the baseball team? <laughs> they're, they're good people and they like baseball. Uh, you know, dozens and dozens of fans down there who like this team. I, I hear you and you and Paul Cafasas right. went down there on a on a little reconnoiter <laughs> and discovered that we, there are at least ten Rays fans. And we we got seats. <laughs> it was hard to believe but we could get nice. seats to watch that fine baseball team. But they're all right. Their hearts are broken. You've you've had a great season. And it's a fine young team. But you know, you're, there's no real harm came of it. Your team, a team you like, lost a game. Um, yeah. And, you know, these rivalries, you, know, you could say, you know, you don't like the Dodgers and, and I could certainly say I don't like the Red Sox. I don't like their ballpark. I don't like the way it smells. I don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way yeah. that the Dodger dogs aren't very good. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I, I don't like any of it. Uh, <laughs> I don't like their accent. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the way that but they the, talk up there. I just don't right. like it. But, it. but it's it's in most cases, I mean, there are occasionally examples of fan violence that happen and those are stupid and they shouldn't happen. But in general, it is n- the stakes are almost nothing. Right. It's not life and death. It's not people's livelihood or right. whether somebody can get married or get health insurance right. or anything like that. Right. That 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 which is why. Um, although there definitely is tribalism in American politics, which is, I think, where you were going yeah. with this. It feels like, you know, but it's not, it, we don't do it for fun. Like, right. it's there, there are actual stakes. And, and like the cliche says, elections matter. Right. Well, and that's my, my, my sentiment to anybody who's listening to this episode before Tuesday. And you're, if you're thinking about voting, vote. It matters. 
It really does. We in in real life, which is what elections are about, we are all in this together. In baseball, we're not all in this together. You know, the, right. the Dodgers. Somebody had to win the World Series, and thir- twenty nine other teams didn't. In real life, we're all in it together, and and that's the thought I would like to encourage everybody to have going forward. Uh, voting, if you haven't, I bet most people listening actually have voted, which is a nice change in this country. But uh, mm-hmm. anybody who's still listening and on the fence as to whether their vote matters, it really does matter. It's the strangest thing in the world that you could be one of, you know, a couple hundred million people here in the country and your vote matters. But it, it really does. does. It's hard to, hard to explain, but don't think it doesn't. That's, that's my, my election message. Yep. Amen. Uh, all right. Let me take a break. Thank our first sponsor, a new sponsor. Oh, this is great. I love new sponsors. Stitch. Fix. I was worried about getting that out. That seems like something I'd have trouble pronouncing. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at only had your size, the styles you like, at the prices you want? Well, there is a company focused on making that happen. In the world of clothes shopping, there are no consistent sizes. Why should we have to try to guess if a medium is really a medium or maybe have to return it and uh, it's online and you got to pack it back up and give it to the guy just to get a large because the medium was too small, even though you usually take a medium. Stitch Fix is a personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you want effortless. It's a completely different way to shop that is all about you every time. To get started, you go to stitchfix.com slash talk show to set up your profile. They will deliver great looks personalized just for you in colored styles and the budget you select. You pay a $20 styling fee for each fix, which is credited toward anything you keep. Schedule at any time, no subscription required, plus shipping returns and exchanges are easy and free. It's all handled automatically. They ship you the stuff, you keep the stuff you like, you pay for that, and you send the other stuff back. Stitch Fix does all the hard work for you, making great style effortless for everybody, including men, women, and kids. And they've got consistent sizes right through the whole line. So if you know you're a large, you just keep getting larges, everything's going to fit perfect. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash talk show. And by starting there at that URL, you will get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix, that's stitchfix.com slash talk show for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. My thanks to Stitch Fix for sponsoring the show. Uh, where to start? We got a lot to cover. Uh, I say we start with the Mac, though. I can't because I feel like if I save the Mac till the end, is we're going to cut it short. And me and you, how can we not? Talk about the Mac. Sounds good to me. I mean, I think this is one of the most exciting moments that the Mac has ever had. Short term, they just reported their uh, Q4 financial year 2020, but it's the July to September quarter yesterday. And underreported in all of this, to me, not by you, (laughs) you mentioned it, but by a lot of people, is that the Mac had its best... Q4 ever? Was it the best quarter period ever? It was the best single Mac quarter ever. And not by a little, by more than a billion dollars. 
That is, and, and if you look back, that their their good quarters for the Mac in recent years have been like seven point one, seven point two billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. And this was so over this is, nine, this is nine, nine billion, and it broke the record for the best Mac quarter by one point six. So not even more than one, right? More than one and a half billion. It was by far the best quarter in thirty odd years right. of the Mac. And this is the quarter. <laughs> The one quarter, July through September of 2020, that is after the official announcement that they are moving the entire product line from Intel processors to their own, quote-unquote, Apple Silicon chips. Yep. Before the quarter, when we all believe and have every reason to continue believing, they will initially start shipping those Macs. The one quarter in history between... Intel and Apple Silicon is the one where they sold the most Macs ever, which for, again, for the people listening to the talk show has got to be a bit of a head scratcher, right? Because I bet a lot of people who are listening to the show who have been thinking, I kind of need a new, whatever, desktop, an iMac, a MacBook of some sort are probably thinking, I'll make do with what I have and see what they come out with. And in the meantime, out in the real world, people bought way more Macs than ever before. I, to me, yeah. it, it's a testimony that as much as we think, oh, well, Apple's all about the iPhone now, the Mac is stronger than ever and more mainstream than ever. Like that, I think it, that's true. That's what I take away from it is that there are people who, like, you could say to them, clearly a lot of people, more people than ever, bought a Mac in the last three months. And you could say to them, well, wait a minute. Didn't you hear that they're moving from Intel's architecture of x86 to custom <laughs> Apple Silicon? You might as well just say to them, didn't you hear that they're going to flim-flam the flabberjatter and it's going to go to 26 gig- gigawatts or, you know, you, you just yeah. make up terms and they'll be like, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I need a laptop yeah. now. <laughs> right? That's that's because I think because uh, that's what is driving some of this. Although, to be fair, uh, a lot of the analysts say to uh, say to Tim Cook in these calls uh, every quarter, uh, "Are you just selling Max that you would have sold over the next year because of COVID, and then your Max sales are going to crash?" And what they said this time is, "We still think it'll be a double digit growth year again." or double-digit growth quarter again next quarter during the holiday quarter. So they're saying, no, they they actually think that the Mac is going to continue showing growth. Um, although I do think that some of it is obviously, you know, you're working at home yeah. or and you need to buy a new laptop or your company uh, puts everybody at home and they're like, okay, we need to give you guys new Macs because yeah. you don't have, your laptops are old and we're going to do that. Or it's, I, my kid is now, uh, going to online school and we're going to buy them a new yeah. Mac laptop. And I think also, and not maybe as covered as widely, is we used to get by with two laptops or a laptop and a desktop in this house. And now we have four people here, all of whom are doing work or school all the time, and we we can't share. So we have to buy. I think all of those scenarios are driving people yeah. to say, I need a, to upgrade or add uh, a Mac yeah. to my life. Yeah, and I think... You know, they don't break, I don't think, they don't break it out by units anymore, right? They just do. They don't. They just, just do revenue. Just cash. Right. Yeah. And so we, and they, you know, remember the, oh, so sweet in the old days. They would even tell you desktop versus notebook. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I was just looking at for for my uh, for my historical project that maybe we'll talk about yes. in a little bit. I was I was looking at the uh, uh, an early two thousands keynote, and they mentioned that seventy five percent of their sales were desktops. And I just raised an eyebrow because, like, <laughs> within a decade, it was the it was seventy five percent laptops. Right. right, that flipped yeah. so fast. But in the early two thousands, they really did sell far more. Um, desktops yeah. and laptops. I, I think you're right that there are a whole multitude of reasons related to the current quarantine extended situation that could drive people to buy Mac hardware. But I think part of it too that's driving revenue up specifically is in the I can't help but think in the professional market, there's a lot of people who are recreating professional setups it, that some of them are higher margin systems. Even people who therefore are juiced in and know Hey, this Apple Silicon thing's happening. In theory, I might wait, but I'm usually working at home. I'm doing video or I'm doing audio stuff and I'm really, or development, something that really, you really need the best computer you can get. And it really saves you time and money to have a truly professional workstation in front of you. Um, they're re, they're, people are recreating those at home or just separate and just in new places. And so I think it's driving high margin stuff, you know, which you might think would be like, the one end that would suffer the most in the Osborne effect, you know, period between WWDC and the actual shipping of Apple Silicon. I, I think even there, the quarantine situation is driving people to say, look, I need it. I need a, I need a pro or iMac right now. Yeah. And I, I'm not like, I'm really bullish on Apple Silicon, but the fact is it's, it's going to be completely new. And I think that even among people who know, that it's coming, I, I, it's not a hundred percent clear that what you want to do right. is wait and buy one, right? right. There's, there's certainly a, a strong argument that what you want to do if you need a computer right now is to buy the last Intel Mac and then let Apple Silicon shake out. And so the next time you need a Mac, it'll all be fine. But right now you've got tried and true Intel Mac technology. Like, I think it's arguable either way, but certainly it's not the case that everybody who knows that Apple Silicon is coming is waiting for it. Yeah, I think so. Um, and it's just, what an exciting time. I mean, but it also shows that Apple is making this transition from a position of strength and and what a contrast with the power PC to Intel transition, right? Where it's not that the power the 2005 power PC Macs were horrible, right, or or decrepit, or or just you know uh, to go back to the, the Steve Jobs even mentioned it, even though it wasn't a hardware transition, it was a software transition. When he announced the Intel transition, he said, "Look, we've been through a few major transitions, and the one was you know classic Mac OS nine to OS ten." There were serious computer science level operating system technical shortcomings with the classic Mac OS. And not to belabor that point and do a whole thing about it, but there were some really significant problems there. And, and it's not just, oh, we'll just ship a new OS, you know, because you needed all the third party software to come along with it. It's, it was complicated. It took years, you know. Yeah. PowerPC wasn't quite in that bad of a shot space where it looked like, hey, if they don't do something, because there were a lot of people, I was one, as skeptic, I'll admit, I was wrong. You know, I didn't think they were going to make the move. I just thought there were too many reasons that it would be too difficult. You know, there, there, most people before that announcement weren't thinking, oh my God, when is Apple going to move? It, it was like, when are they going to ship the G5? Which, yeah. 
And when are they going to ship a G5 laptop, right. which never right, happened? Right, right. That's, yeah. that's, I guess that's what I meant. When are they ship the, it G5? was the three, the three gigahertz G5, which was promised right. and never delivered, and the, and the G5 laptop. And, and what was happening behind the scenes is um, IBM couldn't deliver. And at some point, Apple and Steve Jobs basically said, we got to we got to flip the switch. We got to get away from these guys because they're not, you know, our, our life depends on them and they're not focused on it. It's not their, their life doesn't. <laughs> and we got to go to Intel. Yeah. So, but it was, it was a, a moment of desperation. It was like, we got to throw in with the other guys because otherwise we're going to be left behind. And it was, it was not a power move, right? It was, it was a power move only in the sense that, um, they had the ability to walk away from a vendor that I, in the IBM that was not pleasing them, but they were walking into yeah. the arms of literally the supplier of every other computer's processors. Yeah. So the risks that they were taking were like, we had, we had, you know, and, and there has been a, a quote unquote Hackintosh market. You know, people have been able to get Mac OS 10 running on, you know, non Apple hardware. It never turned into a significant problem for the company. Nobody in, in the entire run of the Intel Macs, it's never been, Hey, Apple really screwed this up because people are just robbing the company blind by buying non Apple computers and running Mac OS 10 quote unquote for free on them. Um, that never really happened, but that, those were the sort of thoughts we had as, well, what are the risks, you know, and there were risks, you know, like, well, what if developers never port their software over, but Apple did such a good job with their developer tools that it really wasn't a rough transition software wise, you know, most stuff, you know, shipped Intel native pretty soon and power PC yeah. stuff ran in emulation for enough years, um, Whereas this transition seems a little bit riskier in terms of they've got to bring it with Apple Silicon because Intel Macs literally have never been more popular. That is not uh, uh, that is not a hyperbole, right? That's the whole point of what these quarterly results are. Like I find that so mind boggling that Intel Macs have never been more popular, <laughs> and now is when they're like, well, we're done done with them. Yeah, it's it echoes of the getting rid of the iPod Mini and replacing it with the iPod Nano when it was their most popular product, it, and they killed it, it to replace it with something else. But I, I think when we talk about Apple Silicon, you know, I have people ask me, "What do you, what do you think? Like, is it going to be better or is it going to be shaky?" And and my response is always, Apple completely controls when they make the move. Completely, right. they choose the moment to switch to Apple Silicon. And it's their pride on the line, not just the quality of the Mac, but the quality of their processing power, their processor system that they are so proud of. They wouldn't make the move if it was going to be disappointing. They're making it because they know it's going to blow people away. Yep. They really do. because. And I know that you can roll your eyes at that and be like, oh, well, you know, whatever. We'll see what it is. But if you're Apple and you're not going to impress people, why would you do it? Right. You just wait. Right. Wait until you can impress people. But what we've seen on the on the smartphone side is Apple is a, more than a year ahead of Qualcomm, essentially. That when the new A14 comes out, the A13 is still the fastest smartphone chip until the moment the A14 comes out. That they've lapped the field, basically. Right. And, and so they think they can do the same thing with Apple Silicon. And again, if it was going to be lackluster, they wouldn't do it. Because it would make them look bad. Like they're they're doing it because they know exactly how impressive it's going to be compared to the existing Intel processors. 
I, I, I really agree with it. I, I need to write this for Daring Fireball because, and I know I, I, there's so many people who seem to be under the impression that like the first ad, Apple Silicon Mac is going definitely, they think going to be like a return of the 12 inch Mac book. Very small. Think, you know, uh, like an iPad super, like a yeah. sliver of a computer. Well, 12 inch laptop. Right. And it'll have the A14X or the A14M for Mac or something like that. And that'll be it. And who knows when we'll see the next. It's like, it's just like dot, dot, dot or yada, yada, yada. Well, who yeah. knows when we'll see the rest of the lineup. And I think that's, it's, that's just way too obvious. You're not thinking big enough. And I keep thinking back to the WWDC announcement of this when they cut to Johnny Saruji down in a quote unquote secret lab. Um, which I, I think might have actually been like, you know, like when they shoot in those places, those are like real rooms. And I know they set dress them and, and people, I think, waste their time looking for like unannounced hardware <laughs> sitting in there. Like, like, yeah, it's a set. They don't just show up with a camera and just happen to shoot whatever's in these labs, but they, they are like, I think where they actually shoot, you know, where they actually do some of this work in, in Apple Park. Right. I think so. They're, they're, you're right. They're set dressed, but, but right. real. And, and they are probably in Apple Park, although they might not be, but. Well, Saruji's yeah. team isn't, is in Apple Park. I think Apple Park is that whole campus, but Saruji's team famously has like their whole big secret building off to the side. They're outside the uh. ring. Interesting. I don't know if that's where they shot that segment, but that whole chip team is sort of off to the side. Um, but if you just listen to Saruji's segment, he, you know, it, it, it's very Apple-y where they want to pre-announce this. They they want to, you know, we got to tell developers, we got to, you know, we're going to ship, you know, this uh, developer kit hardware. We want to get native stuff on day one so we can have native software, even though we're going to have emulation to keep stuff working for compatibility. That's not the point of this. Um, but we don't want to spill all the secrets, right? And so the, how do you mm-hmm. how do you navigate that? But would, when you listen to what Saruji said, he, he talked about the... And I think that the similarities between iPad and iPhone over the years, all the whole era of iPad has been taking... Even though iPad had the... Some stuff first, you know, had LTE first and had, I think the first Apple Silicon with the number was in an iPad, I think like the A4 or whatever. Mm, I don't know, maybe. I don't know, but it's, you know, it's not like the iPad always comes second, but, and again, like you said earlier, the iPad Air got announced with the A14 first, even if, you know, it shipped at the same time, but, um, but you know, they, they tend to, even with the iPad Pros, they just take the A11 add an X and the X represents additional like GPU cores. Um, yeah. And, and processor cores, right? Processor cores and more graphics horsepower, but it's fundamentally, and like on single core benchmarks, like Geekbench, it scores exactly the same, um, because it really is the same chip, um, for single core processing. That's, that's what they do with iPad, and it works great for iPad, right? It's not like anybody's looking at iPads and saying, boy, these iPads are slow, right? Nobody has ever said that, right? They've always been like, wow, these are, this feels really fast. Um, but when Saruji talked about this, he talked about how they took their, when they, when they made Apple Watch and they took everything they know, but they had to shrink it down to fit in a tiny little thing on a wrist. 
right? They didn't take the A8 or whatever, A9, whatever year it was when the first Apple Watch came out and make like the A8W chip and have a big, right. you know, big, big by the watch standards phone chip running on your wrist. They made something altogether new that could enable something to run all day on your wrist. And then he just more or less says, that's what we're going to do for pro workstations. And it's like, in other words, to me, the implication is as much smaller that the watch is than the phone. Some of the stuff they're working on the Mac is going to be that much bigger than what they do with the phone. Like to me, that was like goosebumps. That was like, yeah, this is what I want, Mm. man. And I think, I think so. You know, we don't know for sure. There are rumors that are conflicting about it. We know that they said it's a two-year process. So I think that that means that the all Intel Macs everywhere are not going to be replaced for two years. It gives them, uh, at, you know, at most two years. It gives them a little bit of a time. But I did a piece on Six Colors where I basically tried to extrapolate. This is before the A14 came out. So it's actually, I was a little conservative on the A14. So it's actually even more true, I think, now. But the idea that how fast would an A14X, an iPad class, so like four performance scores, uh, chip B in terms of like Geekbench scores, multi-pro- multi-threaded, multi-processing score. And the answer is, if you just took the iPad chip you're developing and put it in a MacBook, a 12-inch MacBook or something like that, a, a consumer Mac, it would be faster than the high-end MacBook Pro 16-inch that was announced last year and almost as fast as the 8-core top-of-the-line iMac that was announced earlier this year that's probably the last Intel iMac. And that's the iPad chip. Okay. <laughs> and then if you do, and I think that this may be what they do, is they've got this A14X or whatever that is that is something that they can put in iPads and they can put in low-end Macs or maybe a low-end Mac laptops, MacBook Air, MacBook, that kind of thing. I assume there's also a Mac-specific pr- processor that is more powerful, that has more cores and is clocked up and has, you know, more interesting things going on with graphics and who knows what else that's made just for the Mac. And I just threw into my little spreadsheet, again, let's extrapolate that they add on because the rumors are that that, that there is a Mac chip and it's got eight performance cores. And if that's true, then you just do the math and it's like, you're now in the zone where that, that Apple Silicon Mac chip, that's the pro Mac chip, is roughly halfway in performance between the high-end iMac and the high-end 28-core Mac Pro. It's basically in Mac Pro territory, um, firmly in Mac Pro territory. And you could have that in a MacBook Pro, potentially. So uh, this is why I I said earlier that I'm bullish on Apple Silicon. I think that they are are approaching this from a position of confidence that they, they know they can impress. That if you extrapolate the speeds that they've got on the iPad and the iPhone it's really clear that they can build this stuff and have it be way faster than any comparable Intel Mac. Yeah, I, I, it's, it, it's almost undeniable. I, the other thing to keep in mind, they've never shipped an, a custom silicon CPU chip um, designed from the ground up to, be, to not be run off a battery. Right? That right. everything they've ever done is run off. Now, there's Apple TV, which... All doesn't have a battery, but Apple TV is a product that has just sort of gotten, well, you could just take a two-year-old A-series chip and we'll just put it in there. You know, they don't design custom silicon for uh, Apple TV. Um, they've never had a, a device that is, well, you know, 
when the chip team is like, well, what, what, you know, what are we working with? And it's like, imagine that you've been on this team for like over a decade building these things where battery life is, if not the biggest concern, one of, right? It, no discussion, no day goes by where you're not taking into consideration battery life. Uh, and you say, oh no, you, you're designing a de- device that will always have power. <laughs> it's like glorious, right? And sort of, Personal right. computing, the whole Intel architecture came the other way, right? It came from an era where laptops were, you know, exotic and sort of, you know, they were just desktops running. And we talk about the Mac's history in that regard, where you could literally just, they just t- took a Mac and put it in a suitcase, you know? Yep. Uh, it's a Mac portable now. I, <laughs> Enjoy. I, it is just a terribly, <laughs> terribly exciting time to be a Mac enthusiast because yeah. it's the the platform is thriving. It is popular. It has clearly has the company's interest. And and it, it's it, another way to look at it is in terms of well, why do this now? Uh, if they were going to take the easy road, the easy road obviously is just to keep making Intel Macs. They've never been more popular and they don't have to do any, not that they don't have to do work. I'm not saying it's easy for the computer engineers at Apple to make the Macs they've been making for 14, 15 years with Intel systems. Uh, but it's easier than doing that plus designing your own chips, right? It's, yeah, well, that, there was that pivotal moment, and you, you along with some other journalists, got invited to talk to Phil Schiller and some other people about the future of the Mac. And that was the announcement that there was going to be a new Mac Pro and that Apple was recommitting to Pro customers. And honestly, up until that moment, I felt like that's exactly where Apple was, that they had just decided the Mac is a legacy platform and we love it, but we're just not going to put a lot of effort into it. It's going to be what it's going to be. It's not going to really change. We'll use Intel's latest processors. We'll update it every year or two, and we'll just kind of let it motor on. And it would be fine. And at some point, they said, no, okay, let's let's go the other way with the Mac. We're going to take the Mac, and it's going to be part of our strategy. And that means the Mac has to change. And that's going to ruffle some feathers of old-school Mac users, but the Mac's going to change, and we're going we're gonna to take it into the future, and we're going to use our processors, and we're going to run iOS apps on it. And it's going to be a very different future for the Mac, but the Mac is going to be you know, it's going to have this opportunity to become far more than it was. And and that's that's that moment because it really was Apple saying, are we going to put effort into the Mac or are we just going to write it off as a legacy technology? And everything we've seen since then suggests that they have been slowly grinding up, cranking up all the gears to do that. And the Apple Silicon announcement combined with the fact that in that announcement, they said, yeah, you know, we're going to integrate iOS compatibility right. in in Apple Silicon, in macOS Big Sur, like that is, you know, if they were just putting them on life support, none of that would have happened. And it shows that Apple now considers the Mac, I mean, you could argue the Mac is the center point of Apple's product lineup now, or at least will be shortly, because it's going to run all the software on essentially all of its major, you know, non-watch, non-Apple TV (laughs) platforms, right? And it becomes that iOS is a subset of Mac instead of being like the dominant platform in the Mac is this weird thing on the side. And that that is, you know, it took them years to get there, but I feel like there must have been a moment internally where they decided, let's not treat the Mac as a, as a legacy platform. And I'm, I'm all in for that because I want the Mac to grow and thrive and not just kind of calcify and be, 
uh, a legacy platform because that that way lies death. You know, eventually right. it might it might motor on for a while. When I started at Mac user in the 90s, there was still an Apple II magazine that they put out upstairs, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it, it can do that for a while, but it, it, it's an end game. You know that it's just going to trail down and, and end. And Apple decided not to do that with Mac. Yeah. And so it's terribly exciting, but what a what a quarter ahead. Um, yeah. Did you see, I don't even know what to make of this, that uh, the Big Sur 11, Mac OS 11.0.1 beta is already out, <laughs> but Mac OS 11.0 is not yeah. out, which mm. the only reasonable explanation for this, it, 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 this is not, this might just sound like, oh, they're just numbers you stick on operating systems. But to developers, this is meaningful, right? Like, cause now there's an operating system that they, their software might be needed, expected to work on that isn't out. It's, it is not. It is a big deal. It is a big WTF for yeah. Mac developers. Where where is the right. final, the golden master of eleven point zero point zero? Right, and you know the best guess is it's on a bunch of Apple Silicon Macs right. that haven't been announced yet. Right, um, that will presumably update to eleven point zero point one as soon as that comes out. Perhaps the moment they get taken out of the box, who knows? But that they needed to lock it in order to write it to all the, the drives right. in order to ship all of those so that they can announce it and ship it. Um, that's that's the best guess. But, you know, the developers would still like a, a, a golden master to test against, I, I suspect, on their develop, developer kits, at least. Yeah. And a final version of Xcode and all of those things, too. A- Apple, the it, they are one company, and, and in a lot of ways, they've never been more unified with hardware and software, you know, working together and and teams working together and all of that but it 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 exemplifies how software and hardware are two very different things and there's apple the hardware company that is keeping these apple silicon macs under wrap and wants to have a big splashy debut and then there's apple the company making a desktop professional workstation operating system (laughs) Who's yeah. doing something that makes absolutely no sense from a software? No other company in the world would start sh- distributing developer betas of a point one update to an a operating system that still hasn't been out as a point shipped. oh. Yeah, let's throw in the mix. This is something that I only thought about the other day, which is because Big Sur on Apple Silicon will run iOS apps. What that means is we are now at the point where shipping Mac OS requires you to ship essentially a version of iOS, mm. right? They build together. They have to build together because they have to run iOS apps in Mac OS on Apple Silicon, which means essentially Mac OS is also not only are Apple Silicon Macs a, a superset of iOS, but Mac OS is a superset of iOS, which means that I think first off, it means that it will always have to ship Either in either perfectly in parallel or more likely after iOS, right. because you got to have a stable thing and some compatibility among apps and all of that. But it does add that extra layer of complexity, and I wonder if that factors in too, right? Because so then there's an iOS update. You presumably need to do a macOS update at that point because you want to bring the whole platform up. It's just it's it's really complicated, and they're also shipping this hardware that that they're not yet announced and is not yet actually shipping. And I don't. I don't envy them. It's a, it's a really 
high degree of difficulty, the right. stuff that they're they're working on. Right, because there's, you know, effectively, there's a baseline level of iOS. It's not like uh, these apps are running in emulation in iOS on the Mac, but there's, a, you know, you got to draw the they're line. They're calling all, all of the iOS APIs, right. though, to run. And so, right? so there's, yeah, exactly. There's, so there's got to be a line, you say, and say, these are the APIs that we're supporting. And when some of them are new, <laughs> they... <laughs> They have to ship before yeah. the Mac can come out. And, yeah, do you and turn then, on the App Store with right. Big Sur and try to and on an Apple Silicon Mac and try to download an app and it says, sorry, it's not right. convert, it's not uh, compatible with your version of iOS. And you're like, well, wait a second, I'm not running iOS, I'm running Mac OS. And you said I could download it, so why can't I? And like, they have to, th- that's part of the launch of Apple Silicon is that like, what's the App Store experience like? Because presumably, some degree of those apps are either opted in or, or or auto opted in or something, and you can see them, and you can just run those iOS apps, and and they need to run. They need to be presumably on a one to one with what the release version of iOS is in terms yeah. of compatibility. Yeah, so it has gotten a lot more complicated, and yeah, they're all but it, but, but exciting. Yeah, right? it's like oh, I can't believe I, you know if you had told me five years ago that this was going to happen, I would have said, pinch me. Like, I don't believe you. We'll see how it goes, right? right. We'll see what the, it, there will be issues and it'll be complicated and it'll be weird. But like, I, I just wouldn't believe that Apple would try something quite this. I, with that moment when they said it's going to run iOS apps, I'm like, really? Really? It's like, yeah, they're going, they're going all the way. Yeah. Well, we'll find out soon enough. But uh, the last thing before we move on from the Mac, I do want to talk, what better time to talk about it than now is your, uh, 20 max for 2020 podcast limited run podcast, I think is a fair way to, to describe it. It's, uh, yeah. what's, what would be the Netflix equivalent, uh, a limited I don't know. series. It's, a, it's, it's a limited series. Yeah. It's a mini series. It's yeah, a mini sure. series. It's, uh, yeah. how, how would you, what's the, what's the, the description of 20? It's been going on so, for months, but for people, if they, if they've missed it. Yeah. So, I decided to give myself a project for 2020 um, because working for myself in my office by myself, I wanted to have some structure. And I thought, well, this would be a fun thing. Why don't I make a top 20 list of notable Macs and write essays about each one? And I'll roll it out over 20 weeks. And that'll be kind of a fun project. And people like Liss and Joe Poznanski, who I mentioned earlier, the sports writer, he did a Baseball 100 about the 100 greatest players in baseball history. And I thought it was a fun idea. And also, my friend Simon Jerry, who was the editor-in-chief at Macworld UK for a long time, had a, a series called Apple A to Z, where he wrote, like, you know, over 26 months in Macworld UK, he wrote his column was from A to Z. And I thought, this is a long-term project that that's fun. I picked top 20 Macs uh, because most of them I've either had or covered and you know, in the expanse of, of Apple history. And honestly, if it had been 20 essays, it would have been a pretty easy project and I would be done with it by now. But at some point I said to myself, well, if I'm going to do this, shouldn't there be a video and shouldn't there be a podcast? Um, <laughs> which was my fail mistake <laughs> because the podcast especially has been an awful lot of work because I ended up – the idea was that my essays are my kind of just take on this. I made the list and then I explained the list to you. And I thought, well, a lot of other people – have opinions about these systems and 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 these Macs through history and they're personal and 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 also sort of analytical about it. And I know a lot of people who have opinions about this. Why don't I talk to them 
and do a companion podcast that sort of is not just my voice, but is their voices about about these systems that I've picked, these these notable Macs. And so that's what it is. And you have been one of the participants in that. I just edited one for next week that um, has a whole little like place where the podcast stops because you have a theory about why a particular product failed <laughs> and for about two minutes. It's like, okay, follow me here. And then, and then it's John Gruber is going to tell you why this product failed. And it's just been a lot of fun to do. And I've gotten a lot of interesting people involved, people uh, that you recognize from podcasts like you and uh, Stephen Hackett and John Syracuse, but also some people I worked with uh, way back in the day, like Shelley Brisbane, who I worked with at Mac user and Rick LePage, who was the editor at Mac week. And I, along the way, there were a couple times where I didn't actually know the history and talk to people who were involved, um, especially with the Mac clone era, because that was such a strange era. And it's it's been a fun project, and I'm really proud of the result. It was a good creative challenge for me to learn a totally different kind of podcast. It's not a conversational show like this. Right. It really is like I did interviews with all these people, and I wrote a script, and I put it all together, and you hear all the different voices coming in and out, and like it's a whole... I'm pretty proud of it, and it's uh, it, so it's on Relay FM, and they're releasing weekly, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but that's why it is a limited series, right? Is I I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That at the end of the year, the project is over, um, and that makes me happy too because it's been a lot. It's been a lot of work. I, Again, if I had just stuck to essays, I would have been fine. But I, I I raised the bar for myself a little bit. I love it. I love my participation in it. Uh, but I also really love, and, and, uh, you know, uh, behind the scenes, a, a bit of it is you invited me very kindly and, and very graciously, and I'm super happy to accept. And so, you know, I'd, I'd be heartbroken if you didn't, <laughs> I really would. I'd be so upset. I'd be so mad. Like if you and I had had some <laughs> falling out at some point, I'd be like, oh, I never should have, never should have pissed Jason Snell off. Cause I would sure <laughs> like to be on this, this series. Um, Really a thrill to to be part of it. But the part that's awesome is that you're like, look, you made the list, right? There was no voting. Yes. You didn't you didn't like send out polls. This is Jason Snell's list of 20 max. Yeah. And that's it is what it is. And you're a you're a nicer guy than I am in terms of how you broke that to people. But <laughs> but it's a good I think that's I think you did it exactly right. I think it's brilliantly conceived in that way. But then it's like, look, here's, here are my picks. Here are the, you know, which ones would you like to talk about? Which ones do you have strong opinions about? And there are right. some that I have extremely strong opinions about, and there are some that I don't at all. And so I, it's not like I had to make up stuff that I don't have a strong opinion about. But I have found listening to those episodes to be, I love them. I love the ones that I was like, I don't, I don't care about the that that Mac. But now I'm listening to it and I'm hearing stories and I'm like, huh, this is great. And then I forget which one it was. I, I wish I remember. I remember where I was in Philadelphia. I was right around, uh, literally, I, this is the way my mind works. I remember I was right around 18th and Sansom Street here in Philadelphia. And I'm listening to an episode don't remember which Mac it was. And I was so upset. I was like, why didn't I tell Jason I wanted to talk about this one? These people are all, and then all of a sudden, and here's John Gruber. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, <laughs> thank God. I did talk about this. And I made the exact points that I wanted, that I was thinking. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank God I was there to, <laughs> to make <laughs> those that points. Great? 
<laughs> I had that same uh, location memory with podcasts where I can remember very specifically where I was if I was out walking around when I heard a particular thing. It's a weird, weird thing. But I'm glad you like it. I, that is, I think that is a perfect moment. Anybody who's edited podcasts, you have that moment where you think, oh, I would make this joke here or I would say this thing here. And then you listen back and you that's what you did. I, I'm like, like how, you, how do you, we get 10 minutes into talking about this Mac and nobody has brought up X, Y, and Z? And then there I am. And it's like, oh, uh-huh. uh, it's yeah. just great. I think people who listen to who enjoy listening to us talk, uh, really, if you haven't been following, you should jump on it. It is a great, great thing. And, and the, the, I can only imagine how much work has gone into editing this, but it, it comes across so tight and, and it's just a delight to listen to. Well, thank you. It, it's been a lot of fun to do and a fun creative challenge. I've I've been using this app called Descript, which basically does um, speech-to-text transcription of all the audio files you give it. And then you can actually edit your audio like a word processor. So I get all of the Power, Power Mac G5, let's say, audio from every person I talk to, and I paste it all into one document. And then I kind of copy and paste and I move it around and then write some stuff. And and that's how those episodes get edited, which is such a, a different approach from normal podcast editing. But it is like editing. It's actually a lot like editing that report card thing I do every year yeah. where I'm taking like downloads from people in emails and I'm kind of getting the best bits and organizing them together. It's a very similar thing, except at the end, you press a button and audio comes out, which is pretty amazing. And there's a little more work you have to do, but it's been fun to do that. And the funniest thing is all of those interviews are separate, right? So you riff on something and John Syracuse riffs on something and James Thompson riffs on something. And then I'm going through it. And then like all of a sudden, you're all riffing on it together because you yeah. all are talking about the same things with slightly different perspectives. And sometimes those are really magical where it's like, it's like you guys are finishing each other's sentences. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to do. So I'm, I'll be happy when it's over because <laughs> it's a lot of work, but I'm really enjoying the fact that we're in the top 10 and we're, we're, we're counting down to number one because the Macs just get more interesting to me at least because I made the list as we go. And you started this before Apple officially said that Apple Silicon Macs were coming. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, oh, I started this list in December because I thought 2020 was just going to be a perfectly normal year. And well, we've, <laughs> We've been speculating about this for years. It, both, you don't have to have any insiders telling you that they're working on it to to just look at the numbers and think about Apple's desire for controlling their own stuff. To think that Apple would be at least looking at making its own silicon. But then there were rumors, and and Mark Gurman in particular has had you know some you know. It was on the pretty much on the nose that this would be the year when they finally do it, but um, it wasn't certain, right? I mean, I I predicted it. You, at least I was at least two years early. I thought they would do it oh. by twenty eighteen. I've, John, I have been predicting Apple Silicon Macs for like three years in yeah, a row, yeah. something like that. Like I, I keep, I do that at the end of the year for MacWorld. I write these prediction pieces, or sort of like wish casting slash prediction. And every year I do one that's like, how did I do? And it, and for the last two or three years, it's been well, yep. no, uh, no, no Macs running on ARM. Yeah. That still hasn't happened. So I guess this year maybe we'll get it right. But the, you know, it, it's just so interesting because listening to the twenty for twenty. Uh, it, part of what makes it so great is that there's such this vibrant history of oddball Macs. And I say that not oddball like they were weird or bad, but like ones that just stick out. It's just like a model. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the G3 
first iMac. Just, you know, everybody remembers it. It just looks so different and so new. And sure, it had successors and, you know, you know the Dalmatian colors and, you know, there yeah. was some goofy stuff in there. But Flower power. Flower power. <laughs> um, uh, but that first one really sticks out like, boom, this is this is new, you know. And uh, it there was a stretch where Apple part of that malaise before their their sort of that that summit you referenced where they're like look we've you know been thinking about this we you know backed ourselves into a thermal corner on the Mac Pro in particular but we've also been working on a Pro iMac which we now know as the iMac Pro but there was sort of an undercurrent of that summit that was sort of like we've been rethinking the whole platform it's not just about the trash can Mac Pro you know, and it's, you know, I think that's what's gotten us here. And they have come out with some models in the last few years that will be memorable historically. You know, 10, 15 years from now, we will remember the first Retina MacBook Air, right? That was because we, you know, we waited right. for it for so long and it was really good and popular and had a bad keyboard. <laughs> we will remember that. Um, but there was a stretch there. And I think the MacBook Air exemplifies that stretch of stagnant hardware, you know, where, where before it went retina, when the Mac, the $999 entry model MacBook Air looked exactly the same and had the exact same non retina display for seemingly for like a decade, which wasn't true, but it just, Felt like, man, this was like we 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 were wearing bell bottoms and had sideburns back when this thing came out. I mean, this was a long time ago. Um, they've you know, and they came out with the iMac Pro and and the new Mac Pro is on Intel and launched last year. And it's you know they've had some some landmark Macs, but there's just no doubt in my mind where landmark Macs are coming. Ones that you know when we do thirty for thirty in ten years mm -hmm. uh, that we'll be talking about. I think I think that's true. I think it's going to take, you know, it takes a little time to understand. And I don't have a lot of very recent models on my list because I do think it takes a little time to yeah. understand quite why they were important and where they fit in kind of the the sweep of of 36 plus years of Mac history, but I do think it, it it's got to be, right? Yeah. Like there're going to be some really remarkable things. Yeah as a part of this transition. It's, um, and so, yeah, for 25 for 25 or 30 for 30, we'll, uh, we'll revisit and I can rejigger my, my dumb list. It's, it's like when you, when people come out with a list of the best hundred movies or 50 movies or something like that, when you, when you're 19, 20, 21 years old and your first feel like, Oh, now I have an adult taste in cinema and I know what a real good movie is. And those lists come out and you're like, why isn't th these great movies from the last five years? Why? Well, I can't believe they're not on the list. You know, you're, you're biased by recent stuff. It's like you, you kind of, when then you, you know, you get a little bit older, you don't have to be old, old, but you just, you know, you get a little bit older and you realize you, you need to be a little biased against the newer stuff when you make these lists, you know, you gotta, right. you gotta, you gotta let them solidify. Yeah, and their story hasn't been told, right? right? Like you could argue that, like, the, take the MacBook Air, right? That we we now have that Retina MacBook Air, and you talked about how stale the old MacBook Air is, but that old MacBook Air was a hugely influential computer, right? 
But until the Retina MacBook Air came out, its story kind of wasn't over. Like, where does it fit? And then they did a new MacBook Air, and you're like, oh, well, maybe the story of the MacBook Air continues. Like, it takes a little time. Some of these things that I picked, you know, it's very much like they, they have a beginning and an end. And there there are Macs that are boring in in their success, that they were obvious, and they sold a lot, and they survived for, you know, a decade or more. And... uh but they're not particularly notable to me because they're, they're it's just sort of a, it's just a success story. And, and I, I'm looking for interesting stories to tell. That is part of what I'm going at with my list. But I think that it's also true that you need to know how the story ends before and place it in context. And that does take a little bit of time that, that I, I had a couple of people say, well, I'm sure you'll have the first Apple Silicon Mac on your list. I hope you left room for it. And it's like, well, no, call, call me in five years when we know what the story of Apple Silicon was. <laughs> right. And I'll pick the, I'll pick the one that tells the story the best. But right now we just don't know. Like I've, I've got an iMac Pro. You mentioned it right here. Is this a one-off? If, if it is, um, it might be notable in the sense that it, it represents a product designed for a future where the Mac was going to get parked and then they changed their mind. Um, but right now I'm not comfortable saying that it's notable because I don't really know what that story is yet. It's coming into focus, but it's going to take a little bit of time. Right. So, you know, yeah, give it a little, give it a little, put it in the bin, let it age a little, and we'll check back in five or 10 years and, and have a better idea. All right, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. Oh, it's my good friends. I mean this sincerely because they keep my website going at Linode. Oh, do I love Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Get started on Linode today with this is a this is fantastic. Hear me out. A hundred dollars in free credit for listeners of the talk show. You can find all the details of that at linode.com slash the talk show. Linode.com slash the talk show. Hundred dollars in free credit just because you're a listener of this show. Linode has eleven global data centers and they provide two hundred 24 7, 365, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Human support with no tears or handoffs, regardless of your plan size. It's just flat. It is just flat and simple. You need help. You're on the nano plan, which is like five bucks a month. Call up, you get the same people, experts talking to you, helping you with your problem as if you're on like big enterprise multi machine plan. Uh, really, it's a great company with great support and they really, they're, 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 they're just good people and they really, really know their stuff. In addition to their shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 in credit on their S3 compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes. I don't even know how you pronounce this word, Kubernetes, 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 and more, uh, whatever. If you know what it is, you know how to pronounce it. I've seen it. But you can apply your hundred dollars in credit to it. Uh, Let's say Kubernetes. Kubernetes. I don't know. I just made that up. I have no idea how to say it. Yeah, whatever. If you, <laughs> I don't know how best can I, how best can I mispronounce it. Kubernetes. 
Kubernetes. Sounds like an island. Kubernetes is like an Italian restaurant yeah. you go to uh, with your parents. Right? <laughs> it's exactly. It sounds like a good a good red sauce place. Uh, anyway, go to linode.com, L-I-N-O-D-E, linode.com slash the talk show and click on the create free account button to get started and it gets you $100 in credit. It's just a great company, great service. I love them. All right. Before we move on, let me just say this. 20 for 20. These are, these are, these are all, is it true? Is, did you pick good Macs? Is that sort of the, no. Oh, no. They're landmarks, so right? It's 20 most notable is the word, right. the weasel word I use. Most because notable. I didn't, I thought, I thought a best Mac list would be boring. Right. Also, um, you could argue that the latest Macs are always going to be the best because, right, right. or you have to start doing like Moneyball stuff where you're like, well, if we calculate out which one right. was the most effective per dollar in right. that in that era or whatever, and it gets really weird really fast. So I wanted to be completely subjective, and I and again, kind of wanted to be notable. Really means like has an interesting story to tell and fits is important in the larger story of the history of the Mac, I guess yeah. I would say about it. So some of them are, especially lower down on the list are spectacular failures. Right. And, and some of them, some of the failures are failures, despite the fact that they have brilliance right. in them. The Mac portable. And some of them, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of them are just failures, yeah. right? Like, and the Mac portable is just kind of a failure. The the 20th anniversary Macintosh, right. as weird and interesting as it is, was also a flop. I, I found out that as a part, I didn't do a lot of reporting, but I did a little bit of reporting for some of these stories that Gil Emilio just wanted them to ship it. He thought it would be his legacy as a visionary. <laughs> and it was, a, so they picked this thing off, off of the, you know, Johnny Ives uh, concept lineup right. and they said let's ship it and then they're like everybody at apple was like oh uh but how are we gonna do that and they're like well go to bose and and get a attach a speaker to it and at least it'll sound good and stuff like that literally what happened and then i found out in the podcast portion of this from my old boss rick lepage who worked at mac week at the time that uh apparently Gil emilio had it in his severance agreement that one of the things he would get beyond his golden parachute was a uh, a 20th anniversary Mac of his own. So he even then he was like, "This shall be my legacy," and that's just a bad product that should never have been shipped as a product. I'm glad it escaped because it's so fun, but it w- it should never have been a product. So and that's on the list because I feel like it it says things about right. the Emilio era and the the you know right when Steve Jobs came back and sort of like the brilliance of Apple's internal design lab, but the fact that uh, products should not escape from it. Uh, and so it's on the list because it's super notable. Like, how can you tell the story of the Mac and not mention get a load of this thing that they did for the 20th anniversary of Apple, not the Mac, and released it on the tw- basically the 21st anniversary of Apple? So they didn't even get that right. I mean, one how, the, how can I not tell that story? One of the little things that was so wrong about it is that um, famously to Mac fans, because this was a time you know the 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 show aired in a time when the Mac was sort of. Uh, beleaguered, as we'd like to oh. say. Um, Jerry Seinfeld always had a Mac yeah. uh, on his desk in the back of his living room, uh, a section of the set that never really featured into the plot, but, you know, it was just sort of set dressing. Um, and <laughs> at one point, he had a 20th anniversary Mac, which was so incongruous right. because the Macs that he had there before were like, yeah, of course, the Jerry Seinfeld character in the show Seinfeld, of course he would have a Mac because he likes nice things and he's fussy. And the Mac is even in the nineties when the Mac maybe wasn't doing so well overall in the market, 
Jerry Seinfeld would be a Mac user. Like we, everybody who was a Mac user at the time knows that Seinfeld had a Mac on the show, but he would never have a 20th anniversary <laughs> Mac. A, the character Jerry Seinfeld was not a gazillionaire. Right. But even the real life Jerry Seinfeld, who was the star, the $20 million a year star of the biggest show on network television would know, no, no, this is not, this is, this is, I don't know what this is. This is ridiculous, right? It was yeah. so incongruous. But Apple couldn't get rid of them fast enough. And so they unloaded them all on like movies and TV shows. Yeah. And the set dresser obviously <laughs> thought yeah, that this it was lo- really interesting. It looked cool. It looked like it was yeah. from the future. But the <laughs> Jerry, the Seinfeld show was not sci-fi. <laughs> it was, mm. uh, all right. How about this? Before we move on, how about okay. pick, pick a, pick a not, I'm going to put you on the spot. Pick a not notable Mac. Pick a Mac that was never going to make 20 for 20. Um, I have okay, one. this is, uh, okay, I'm going to give you mine. All right. The, the iMac G5. Mm. Because if you think about it, um, the iMac G4 with the, the, like, the flower petal design and all of that, and, and that was my pick this week, right? Number nine. Is a brilliant piece of design. It belongs in a museum. It, it, I think it is in a museum. I have one in my office here. I love it. It's just gorgeous. And when they announced it, Apple was like, LCDs are going to transform computers. And this is going to be the next 10 years of desktop design is this thing where it floats on an arm. And in two years, it was dead. And its replacement was the iMac G5, which was everything that Steve Jobs in the launch of the iMac G4 had said, here's what we're not going to do. We're not just going to stick a computer on the back of it because that would be, what, what good would that be? We want it to be thin and light. And then literally that's what they did. And, and the reason it wouldn't make my list is because I think it's important. In fact, it really is still what the Mac, iMac is today. Mm-hmm. And like literally that, he said set up for the next decade with the G4 and it turned out that iMac G5 set them up for the next decade and a half and counting. But it's super boring and it's it's successful, but like what's the story? The story is really the failure of the of the beautiful Mac, not the success yeah. of the boring Mac. And and they didn't it's like Apple giving up and realizing they have to sort of go go back to reality and make something that's more boring but more practical. And like that's not a fun story to tell. So that's that's my one of my suggestions of something that that didn't make the list, even though I think it's actually very interesting and I could tell a story about it because what's the story in the end? Is sort of like Apple didn't want to build it, but they had to, and now we still have them. That's it. Here's my pick. My pick is 1993's Macintosh Color Classic. That's a good one. That's a good one. Which is, I think, for a lot of people, even if you were around at the time, you're like, wait, did was that a real thing? <laughs> and it was. It was a real thing. And when I, I got to put this in the show notes, it it got everything wrong. Yep. It it got everything wrong because they picked the worst aspects. Uh, it, this is a machine that came out in 1993. It had ba- you think oh it was basically the classic Mac form factor, you know, that reached a pinnacle with the SE30 which came out in 1989. Um but it, it, that was, you know, the end of the era and those those black and white screens had their advantages. They really were sharp. They were sharp in a way that color uh CRTs weren't, 
Right. And there was just no reason to have a nine inch, 512 pixel wide color display. There was just no reason. Nobody wanted, nobody wanted a small display, you know, like people. Yeah, and you know that that was some sales guy at Apple yeah. in the channel who was like, they, look, we're getting killed on color. Right. Just the color in it. People loved the classic Mac form factor for many reasons. People have fond memories of it, but they loved it despite the fact that it had a nine inch, 512 pixel wide, 512 by 384 display. Like it was like that was the the pressing the limits of a bitmap display technology for the 80s in the consumer level pricing, which in the 80s for you know was like thousands of dollars. Nope, in 1993 nobody wanted this, and then they so they they vaguely made it look like a Mac, but they used the modern beige colors and yeah. sort of Performa styling and dots. And it's like, I'm yeah, looking it, at a picture of it right now, and it's so much uglier than I remember. And yeah, it, it is it is big and weird and <laughs> and, and unpleasant. I, I don't like the classic line at all, and I know that there are a lot of people of a certain age where that's the first Mac that they got, because it was, in some ways, the most affordable Mac was the that original classic, right. and then the classic 2, which was basically, the classic was the SE, and the classic 2 was the SE 30. Right. But I, I hate those, because first off, they were old. It really is just repackaging old tech. And they took that really nice it's called the Snow White design language. There are a couple episodes that touch on it in the yeah. 20 Max series. And they replaced it with what I view as like this weird um, simulacrum of what the original Mac looked like, but like done from memory of like what popular memory of what the Mac looks like, but it doesn't actually look like it. So they're they're weird and kind of featureless and drab and I hate them. So it's a great, and the Color Classic then distorts it beyond even recognition. Right. Now it, it's just a very strange, big blob of a of an all-in-one. Right. It's it, not good. All the limitations of the, the classic Macs that people loved and none of the charm. <laughs> it was yeah. it was bizarre. Yeah. Which could it be notable? I guess it could, but yeah, I'm with you where I feel like it's just sort of a sad footnote in yeah. in history. And if your first Mac was a color classic, I'm sorry. Nostalgia is a powerful thing here. It's not a computer that I'm nostalgic for at all. Yeah. And the most, and again, my memory was, if you had asked me before I I looked it up here, what year did it come out? I would have thought, I'm not sure, but I would guess around 1993. And it's not because I remember it came out in 1993. I'm like, that 1993 seems like when Apple's leadership would think that's something we should ship. Right. And it was, it it was a dead canary in the coal mine of hey we're going the wrong way this company is going the wrong way here i think there's gas in the mine we should, yeah. we should turn around anyway we have new stuff to talk about um okay sure so ipad air and you reviewed it yeah. i reviewed it i think this is a very interesting device i loved your your lead for it which was basically that Apple is so confident in where the iPad is and where the iPad Pro is that they just took everything great about it, except for Face ID, and said, yeah. okay, now this is this is the iPad Air. This is like the mainstream iPad for people. It's a great yeah. product. I'm not quite sure where it is right now price-wise, but going forward, I think this is great for the for the for the lineup. Yeah, it's a weird product because it's the case where there's definitely another shoe to drop. It, it is so close. And if you if you equalize the storage, 
it's only like 150 bucks cheaper right. at the higher storage point than the iPad Pro that's 11 inches that uses the same accessories. And, and that's too close. It's too close. And, and it's taken too many features from the iPad Pros for there not to be an iPad Pro update coming that is going to have a bunch of new features that separate these two products. And I realized as I was writing this review, probably also raising the price of the iPad Pro. Yes. Like, that's probably happening too. I don't, I don't think we're going to see a 799 base model iPad Pro. It, it will probably go up. Mm-hmm. And that'll be, again, part of the differentiator. But what Apple will be able to say is, yes, but starting at 599, right. we have the iPad Air, which has, at this point, you know, almost all the features of that were introduced in 2018 in the iPad Pro. It doesn't have Face ID, which obviously that true depth sensor costs, and it was a way for them to, to uh, save some money, although they did build that new nifty Touch ID sensor. It's got, But it's got Apple Pencil too. It supports the Magic Keyboard, which means that technically uh, Apple's cheapest laptop now, you could argue, is the iPad Air with the Magic Keyboard. Right. <laughs> $899, $898. Um, but it's great. Like, the product is great and the price, especially the entry price, if you're storing stuff in the cloud and 64 gigs is fine, like it, it, you get access to all of this really nice tech for a much lower price than the iPad Pro ever provided. The question is, but what about the iPad Pro? And the answer is 2021, I think. I, I Clearly, the next step is is for them to spread the iPads back out by having a brand new Pro that is even more, you know, advanced and pushes away from the iPad Air. But that product doesn't exist. So in the meantime, the Air and the 11-inch Pro are really close together. Yeah, and I think that it'll make a lot more sense. Like you said, it's another shoe to drop, which is the next generation iPad Pro. I do think prices yeah. going up and, you know... <laughs> That's, you Never know. bet against Apple raising prices, John. Never. <laughs> exactly. Always round up. Always add on a little something. Right. It, you're never going to go broke betting that Apple raises prices. Sometimes they don't. Right. But, like, if they can, they will. Yeah. Are they going to lower the prices significantly, notably by 50 bucks, 25 bucks, if they take the power adapters out of the iPhone yeah. box? No. <laughs> no. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> and, and, and you can't look at the iPad Air and say, well, maybe they'll lower the price of the base model iPad Pro. It's like, no, 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 right. no, no. It, it, there's an outside shot that they'll keep it the same, but probably they'll raise it. Um, and and maybe they won't have an 11-inch. Maybe it'll be larger that they'll start at or something. But like clearly, there's another story going on here because you can't have this high-end Pro iPad, but the only differences are like ProMotion and uh, Face ID. Like... It's it's not. I feel like it's not enough, and that's the confidence part that you mentioned that I put in my story. Is this is a product that the iPad Air is a product that's released by a company that has such confidence in how they're rolling in terms of bringing out new iPad features that they can release this now because they know they're going to beat it with a new Pro model that's going to clearly differentiate, and so they can afford to pull those features down and pull the Apple Pencil two down into this product. Uh, one of the interesting things, I uh, to me, more interesting. I'm glad I noted it. I almost didn't, and I thought, ah, it's so weird. I got to note it, but I it, to upgrade it for the same storage on the iPad. It's it's usually a very consistent price to go from a Wi-Fi only model to cellular. And I thought it it jumped out at me that with this new iPad Air, whatever you want to get, let's say it's 100, or I guess there's no 128, 256. You get right. 256 gigabytes. It costs 130 bucks to get the same thing with cellular. With the iPad Air, it's 150 bucks to upgrade 
to get the same storage, but with cellular networking. And that seemed weird to me. And a couple people pointed out that the way that, I don't know if it's a Qualcomm thing specifically, I don't know what it is, but there's licenses for cellular networking where the license cost is related to the price of the product. It's it's like yeah. a percentage of the price of the product. And I'm not quite sure. I, I can't vouch and say that's why, you know, and I, it, and I'm not quite sure also if that's true, how it's, why you don't have to pay a higher premium for a one terabyte, 13 inch iPad pro that costs, you know, like $1,300 as opposed to a, $900 smaller iPad Pro. You know, that's a significant difference. Maybe they just average it. Maybe it's like, okay, it's the average price of an iPad Pro is blank and therefore the licensing fee for cellular is here. And because it's higher, they have to charge more for the iPad Pro than the iPad Air. But the interesting thing about this theory that it's related to the average price is it makes me wonder if that's Part a big part of the answer to why we haven't seen cellular built in to Max. Yep, could be because that could be if it, it's a huge hit, right? That's a question that we've been asking. That's one, and it's like we really have been asking for a very long time. I, I would say ever since um, the iPad came out with cellular is this is great. It is great to have a device like this with cellular networking built in. I love it for travel. Um, I, I use it in the park where there is no Wi-Fi. I use it in hotels where I would rather not use the Wi-Fi. Yeah, uh, boy, I would like to do this with my Mac. And it mm-hmm. uh, to me personally, I mean, number one for 2020, <laughs> I haven't left my house much, so hasn't been that much of an issue. But in recent years, tethering to iPhones has been so good and so easy to do from the Mac that I don't even know if I would buy a cellular equipped MacBook Pro. I I probably wouldn't. Uh, I know that that's one of the things people are wondering if Apple's been holding for Apple Silicon models, you know, whether it's just easier for them to do it based on the same architecture that they've been building iPads on and iPhones, which obviously have cellular, or if it's just like, this is a thing we're going to wait so that we can make this big splash with it's not just Apple Silicon, which doesn't really mean much to non-technical people, but cellular does. They understand, hey, right. this is something you can use in the park. Uh, I'm assuming that it's going to happen when they have their own cellular modems, right? Because right. they bought Intel's cellular business, and they, they, they're they right now they're shipping Qualcomm modems in the in the uh, 5G phones. But once they have their own, I, I that's the moment where I think that they would yeah. put it in the Mac. Yeah, is that is because then then it's their own tech. They're not paying a licensing fee to include that, and then and then turn it on when you you know or they'll they'll obviously they'll do something to upcharge yeah. people for it, but they won't have to pay that to Qualcomm <laughs> yeah. or Intel or anybody. That it'll be their money. Well, but there might be. I think there's patents though that are licensed by cost. Yeah, so there might probably still some have pa- to. patents. To me, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, there's, there's some there's something, but but I think it's more plausible at least then than. Uh, but yeah, I, I would. I'm now an iPad cellular iPad believer, and so I get it now. Where I'm like, yeah, I could see why you'd want that in a laptop, just because then you don't have to worry about. For an extra whatever, $10 a month to add it to your yeah. existing cellular plan, you don't 
I was in a, we were, we were taking my daughter up to college and I'm sitting in the car looking at my iPhone and I realized, oh, I could just get my iPad out. Yeah. Because I, I'm just sitting in the passenger seat and it doesn't, they're both cellular devices. So I, I don't, and it's just habit of that. I don't usually have my iPad with me, but it's such a nice thing to be like, oh, you know, anywhere I am, my iPad is on the internet. It's, so I would love to have that on a laptop eventually. Yeah. And I, so I, I, I still, I believe it's coming. Um, but I, to me, the interesting thing to file away for future reference is, you know, will it be like a $130 upgrade for MacBook Airs or whatever they call, if they stick with the names, who knows if they even, if that's how big a change Apple Silicon is going to bring, but the equivalent of MacBook Airs be cheaper to get a cellular model than MacBook Pros. And then to me, that would say, Hey, part of this might have been just licensing costs, but we shall see. Uh, otherwise, the other big notable thing about the iPad Air, the new one, is the um, the Touch ID sensor on the power button, which is new. And you know, I think everybody who said they were hoping for it on the iPhones knew that that was just you know, you know, it's like wishing that you hit the lottery. It, it wasn't going to happen this year. Um, just we. Just- I think it's an interesting data point in that we talk about Apple spending years on these things and they're working a year or two ahead. But like with COVID, we got it's an interesting data point because we know that they have this technology and they knew at some point that everybody was wearing masks. Right. And so we could draw a line there and say, okay, this appears to be beyond Apple's capability to change. Because I think if in May they could have swapped in the iPad Air, a version of the iPad Air technology into the iPhone, they would have. I really do think that if they if they could have, they would have because they have the technology and they could have prioritized it because they know that Face ID is suddenly less valuable than it used to be. But, you know, and I assume that they at least had a conversation about it, but that tells us something, right? It tells us that that whatever the window is to do a last minute change to add or change something, not to remove necessarily, but to change something on the iPhone, um, COVID-19 clearly being an issue was was out of the window yeah it, it, it took them longer than that well and i think another interesting way to think about it is think about the iphone event from a couple weeks ago do you recall them even mentioning face id i don't no. think they did and if they Mm-mm. did it was you know maybe like a bullet point on a slide somewhere i mean they didn't talk like hey it's faster than ever who knows they they just don't talk about it because it's awkward at this point to ship to ship devices whose login method is this thing that doesn't work when you're outside because of a thing that they don't really want to talk about because it's unpleasant, right? The whole, you know, pandemic is not exactly a pleasant term and it's not a pleasant situation. Um, And just from a product marketing standpoint, it's just not a great time to launch face-driven authentication. It really is bad timing historically, you know, that, you know, because this pandemic could have hit at any time. You know, it could have hit four years ago, could have hit 10 years ago, could have hit 10 years from now. Um, it just happened to hit, you know, right when Face ID was new. I know, I remember getting emails from uh, Daring Fireball readers and probably listeners of the show. A um, couple of them who are medical professionals who wear masks because they, you know, and they're unrelated to COVID. You know, this is starting from the iPhone 10. That you know that this was a pain for them. This was annoying um, because they wear masks and 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 you know they have to if they're like surgeons and stuff like that. Like 
it, you might think like, well, why are you touching your phone at all if you're, you know, scrubbed up or whatever? But it, it's not like they're touching their phone while they're doing surgery, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're surgeons, they're professional, but they, they don't want to take their mask off. They can't in some cases. Then this is a real thing. Right. Uh, and touch ID worked and face ID doesn't. And there are doctors who regretted upgrading to face ID phones before this even happened. So this is something Apple knew about. I'm sure Apple is aware that there are people who, for whom yep. face ID didn't work. And I also heard from people who, you know, um, you know, my readership is, is largely, and certainly the, the feedback I get is all in English because it's the only language I can read, but, you know, people who go to Asia and wear, wear face mask wearing and flu season, cold and flu season is very common and it's just considered a courtesy. Who knows how long it's, you know, my, this might be a lasting change now throughout the world that, you know, when you have right. a cold, you'll, you'll politely wear a face mask to keep from spreading germs to other people. Now that, Imagine. Now that we've broken this taboo um, on doing it, it was, and, you know, let's face it, it was yeah. weird at first. It's still weird, it, you For know, sure. but it was really weird at first. Uh it, you know, it, it, they knew about it, but now that it's hit home, you know, it's, it, and everybody's dealing with it. I, I'm sure if they were thinking, yeah, something, you know, where we integrate touch ideas, a secondary biometric authentication, sure, we could look at that. Has to be a higher priority, you know? Yeah. And also, I, I'm curious what investigation they've done in terms of training the existing face ID um, sensor staff right. to train on an, like an alternate method of recognition that might not be as quite as accurate or as secure but would be better than right. than nothing if you so you could like optionally turn on also recognize me with a face covering or something like that right. I, I don't know whether they have investigated that and decided that it's just not possible or whether that's something that they are actively investigating because that would be the other way to go right is maybe we don't need touch id maybe what we need is face id that works above the mask is there enough data above the mask for us to make a guess yeah. about whether this is the person or not? maybe the answer is no but i think that's I, I would imagine that all these conversations have happened at apple because they they do want their product to be useful to their customers and that it was built with some assumptions that are probably no longer true yeah and they you know and they're definitely living it themselves you know which helps i mean and, sure. and i mean that in a non pejorative sense you know like i will pejoratively hold it against them that they seemingly design every product they make without the knowledge that that some places it rains like, yeah. I just posted a screenshot yesterday of the comp the rain complication. If it's a hundred percent chance of rain that it doesn't fit. Yeah. One zero dot dot dot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like Yeah. Yeah. And well and, that's and, that's a story about how Apple Mail has always been bad on on slow connections. Right. On right. slow internet connections. But until they started doing Wi Fi on airplanes, right. nobody at Apple ever noticed. Right. <laughs> and then you know, all of a sudden they're like, Yeah, we gotta fix this. And we're like, Yeah, we've been yeah. telling you, you know. Um so I, you know, I, I, I'm sure they're looking at. It. I don't know if they'll be able to fix it by now. I don't know what the answer is, you know. And and in theory, it's clearly possible eventually for Face ID to get good enough to recognize us with a mask. Because I know that if if I ran into you on the street, I would know, hey, that's Jason, you know. Right. If you were wearing a mask, I know you well enough. And humans, my God, we are so good at recognizing faces. I mean, but that's. The gold standard, right? I mean, the gold standard is the human brain and eye system at recognizing people we know, right? We're so yeah, good pattern at pattern matching. We're we're that's what we're best at is pattern right. matching. Yeah, and, and you know, everybody knows it's it's a common thing where you like recognize somebody, but 
you know you know them because of their face. You have no idea what their name is. <laughs> oh my God, what's that? What's that? What's, sure. that, what's that woman's name? Oh, or you might know, like, oh my God, that's that one kid's parent from school. Oh, I don't even remember the kid's name, but I know I know him. You know it, and you're like, I got to go the other way because I, I I don't want to you know embarrass myself by not remembering who they are. Your brain certainly remembers their face. Um, so if we can do it, computers can do it. But whether that's like a, oh, we can fix the existing tech or no, we need the whole face. Like, to get this, we need the right. whole face. And we are nowhere near doing it just from what's exposed, you know, between like uh, somebody wearing a hoodie with a face mask. Forget it. You know, I don't know. Yeah. And there are, I mean, if they're writing things on a whiteboard you you throw things in there like could i do it based on location could i have a different authentication that's available in certain circumstances could i set up a geofence that when i go to the store yeah. when i'm in the supermarket please let me just put in a code then but other the rest of the time right uh, i want to use face id and i don't want to toggle that setting or you know there, there are things that are that are kind of like outliers they may also be talking about yeah could we change the face id sensor stack so that it's the camera in there is like an infrared camera and then we can map to infrared underneath we can see underneath the mask. I, I don't know. This is why those people get paid a lot of money to think about this all day. But like, it's clearly something that they've got to be grappling with. Right. And and I don't think this is going away. To your point, I think you've got to make a bet that we know that in certain cultures, mask wearing is already an issue. In certain occupations, it's an issue. And it, I would probably make the bet that there, the prevalence of mask wearing in society for the next 10 years is going to be uh, pretty high. Even if it's not what it is right now, I think it's going to stay uh, around and that Apple needs to plan for that because they built a technology that doesn't work with it. Yeah. And you know, humans, we're, we're just weird. We're weird. We're not computers. We're so, we're not Spock. We are not logical. And you know, now that we've broken the seal on this, I mean, these sort of, uh, coronavirus type things, we've had outbreaks. There were like four of them during the Obama administration and not to get into the, which administration handled which thing. I mean, this is obviously worse and no matter what, the U.S. administration, you know, all every government, every every country around the world has had a worse outbreak of this, way worse than any of these other things. So this one was different. But I think it, the fact that we know, we just know that even if we get this one under control, three with four years from now, there's going to be another one. And hopefully it'll be like, you know, H1N1 was the swine flu and it just won't be that big a deal. But when that happens... I think we're all going to mask up on airplanes and stuff like that, right? Like, even when it's not a pandemic that we're shutting down and spreading, I think when it's like, hey, there's a new virus spreading out of Asia and it's, you know, it, this could be bad. Uh, airlines will just say, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to say masks on for flights, you know, even. Yeah. If and that, or, or if there's a really bad flu outbreak, right. right? Just say everybody has the wherewithal now to be like, oh, yeah. well, I have masks. I can, I can wear a mask. I know yeah. how to do that. This is how, um, you know, after a hundred years of having a worldwide pl pandemic, everybody forgets, but, um, we've having been through it now. Um, I was talking about to this with my wife cause she works at a library and like when the pandemic happened, they're like, well, what do we do? And then they shut down and then they sort of slowly figured it out. But the difference is now they know like what to do. And I think every business has sort of done that. So if something happens again, you don't have to like look around and be like, oh no, what do we do? They're like, execute plan a right like we we already did this we know what we need to do and whether that's mask wearing or it's like how do we're going to go to takeout only for a month yeah. and then, then we'll come back like we know 
all of us have had to figure that out. And now the society has figured it out. So I, I agree with you. I think that you're going to find that certain cultures and certain societies are going to have a much more easy way to flip a switch to say, oh, something is spreading. Let's put a, a cap on it by doing these five things for public health, including more people wearing masks. Right. And uh, yeah, so the net result may be that like flu seasons aren't as bad and, and other other things that are spreading don't spread as as readily because we've all kind of learned for now our lesson about how to how to handle this one yeah I, I mean honestly i think like you know 30 40 years ago if you went back and just said hey and by the way you know every year they're just gonna you know it's good advice like going to the dentist once a year uh you should get a flu shot and people would be like what what the hell are you talking about flu shot you know you just learn to adapt to little things and i think you know i, I just really really feel i'm not certain but i just feel like it's very likely that occasional bits of mask wearing are going to be common henceforth, even without pandemics. Just, you know, hey, there's a thing going around. Everybody should wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, anything else on the iPad Air before we move on? Nope. Uh, all right. Well, let me take this opportunity to thank our third and final sponsor of this episode, our good friends at Squarespace. Hey, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform where you can build a new website, take an existing website and update it. Anything you need to do on the web, you can do it at Squarespace. And it literally is soup to nuts. Domain name registration, templates, templates that start and cover all sorts, the whole gamut of screen sizes from phones to desktops, online store, a portfolio, something where you want to show off a gallery of photos and work and stuff like that, or a CMS type thing where you want to host a blog or you want to host a podcast, you can do it all at, at Squarespace. Everything is right there. Great analytics, great technical support if and when you need it. Everything you need right there at Squarespace. And I always emphasize this, it's such a great thing. It's great for if you're technically minded and you know HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and you know web hosting and you know stuff like that. It's also great if because you know stuff like that, you're the person people who don't know it come to when they need a website. Send them to Squarespace. It is the best thing to do. And it's not just like, oh, you're shoving them off on a thing so that are out of your hair. It's actually the best thing for them because now they can take control of it and do it themselves and empower them with this thing that they can totally understand. It is a great service for non-technical users and technical users alike. And I know that that is a real, I hear from people all the time, like, you always mention that. And that's exactly it. I don't have a Squarespace account, but I just told so-and-so who runs a restaurant who I know to use Squarespace and they love it. Um, keep it in mind and remember my URL. You can send them there and I'll get credit. Um, so where do you go? Go to squarespace.com and remember the code, uh, squarespace.com slash talk show. That's the code. Uh, just told you to remember it. I should tell it to you. And remember that offer code, talk show. No the, just talk show. And when you pay, and you can wait 30 days, get a free trial, pay afterwards, you get 10% off your first purchase. And you can use it to pay for up to a year. So remember that code, squarespace.com slash talk show. All right, iPhone 12. I wrote yeah. a lot. You wrote uh, a lot. I don't know how much more. how much more is there to say. I don't know. I thought that one of the things I was reading your review and it, I, I always feel this way. I always feel like I have a strong opinion about this, but this feels like off. I feel like my, my opinion here maybe isn't what I'm supposed to have. 
And then when I read other people say the same thing, I'm like, okay, I'm not nuts. And my, my, okay, I'm not nuts when I read your review is I think the iPhone 12 is a nicer thing in hand than the iPhone 12 Pro. Yeah. I, I was immediately taken back to the moment I unboxed. I remember where I was. It was in my office at Macworld. Um, unboxed the iPhone 5, which was the one where they had the black model yep. that was like all black. And I, I took the iPhone 12, which uh, my review unit was black. Um, didn't ask. That's just what they yeah. sent. And I, because I'm in, sort of intrigued by the blue, but I got a black one and I took it out and I was like, oh, like, I just got that feeling, like the matte sides, which don't pick up fingerprints. And again, everybody's got their own take on it. But I had that moment where I thought it's lighter, it's grippier. Um, the metal looks nicer because it's matte and doesn't pick up fingerprints. And and so, like, leaving aside, do you want a telephoto camera? And, like, there are reasons to get the pro model. But I thought it was really funny that the cheaper model felt nicer to me. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about the Mini, but if I were to buy one of these two models today, I would buy the 12. I would forego the telephoto. I would forego the uh, the 60 frame HDR video, and I would go. You know, I would forego the raw uh, Apple Pro raw. I would forego that stuff because although it's nice, I'm probably not going to really use it that much. And not only would I save a little money, but like just b- bottom line just feels nicer. And that's weird, right? That the cheaper phone feels nicer, but to me at least, it feels nicer. And it, there were parts of the iPhone 11 and the 10R that I thought were nice and maybe nicer. I I like the glossy glass back better. I'm yeah. convinced of it. I I just and whether it's just it is subjective, but I just like it better. And so I like that part of the 10R and the 11 non-pro better than the pro models. Um oh no, I guess with the 10R the but the 10R, the iPhone 10S still had a glass back, a glossy back. Right, they were both they were both sort of shiny it was, back. It was just last year. I just the yeah. 11 and the uh, the 11 and 11 Pro were inverted. Yeah. So so the the 11 got the the shiny yeah. glass back with the matte in the glass right. on the camera sensor. Right. And the inverse on the Pro. I just like the feel of it. I it's like and I I stick with my description that it's it's just tacky in the way that shoes on a clean basketball court that squeak are yeah. and it just gives you that grip i just like it I, well you run your finger on a on a clean pane of glass yeah. and it's going to grab the the finger and if you run it on a textured piece of glass it's going to slide the, like it's it's that's just what it is it's grabbing it's grabbing onto your finger there so yeah i i remember thinking last year with the 11 versus the 11 pro i like aspects of this 11 more i like this glossy back i really liked that part of the 10 and 10s and i don't like this matte finish. I don't hate it, but I just it it doesn't feel better to me. And just practically it just feels more slippery. And I don't really think it looks better either. It kind of looks plain. Um yeah, I mean, it, look, aesthetics are very personal. Right. And um I I said that in my review. It's like all I can tell you is how I feel about this. But my feeling is one that I think the 12 feels nicer than the the pro and that's just for reasons i have reasons but you could disagree with me and that's fine and the other thing is that i'm getting kind of tired of apple deciding that pro means boring and i feel like apple believes that pro is boring and and that's you know having boring color as an option is good because you don't want to 
Like this is the, your device that you're going to have everywhere, but it only comes in bright green or bright pink and you have to choose. Yeah, I mean, I get I get it. But the the pro colors are like, you know, gray and lighter silvery gray and sort of a tanny gold and and then the the blue that's a very dark blue that yeah. is really kind of a gray blue just like last year they had the gray green <laughs> and and then you look at the 12s and they're like bright blue bright red yeah so um i did not ask yeah. for colors either they sent me the two in blue and i unpacked them and instantly i thought i i like the regular 12 blue better i mean i'm a normally a, a buy everything in black if it comes in black person yep me too but i also have opinions on what i like better if i were to buy it in color and i was like if i were going to buy one of these on color alone i would buy the the blue blue plain blue whatever we want to call it of the iphone 12 then the pacific yeah. blue and my wife and son concurred and the three of us three is a good number because we you know somebody has to break the tie Usually, color in particular, our family has very, very strong opinions on color. Uh, all three of us, everybody agreed that the regular iPhone 12 blue is just, it's just nicer. It's just cooler. It's, it's anything you could say, like, is it more fun? Is it just looks better? Does it look nicer? Does it look more premium? All of those things, right? It's, and it's very interesting to me. I think my term was that it somehow looks, it, it looks fun without seeming frivolous or silly. Uh, maybe in the way yeah. that red does, you know, again, not like it, that the red looks bad. I haven't seen, that's the other weird thing about this year with no hands on area and no, can't just pop into an Apple store. I don't know what, I, all I know is what it looks like in pictures. <laughs> right. But red seems a little more what I'm talking about where it just seems not, not childish. I don't think it's bad. It's just not for me, but the blue seems like even if you are sort of, you know, not looking for like a teenager's looking phone. This blue for the iPhone 12, it just pops and it just looks deep and nice. And it again, yeah. And Apple does anodization of aluminum so well. That's the thing. It's right. like they have the surgical stainless steel in case you need to operate on somebody with the edge of your iPhone. I guess uh, on the Pro, surgical and that's great. Grade. And it's a pre- <laughs> yeah, it's a premium material. It's great, but like. Apple's really good at aluminum, like really good. And they d- seem to have done a very good job with the aluminum edges of the 12. Um, but again, again, you know, everybody can have their, their, their take on it, but I was, I was taken aback. I did not expect to feel this way. I mean, I've been poking Apple a while about color because I feel like they're way too conservative with color. Um, and so having this other line where they are not as conservative is great. Um, but it, it does make me laugh that like, if you want the pro phone, you you got to be like that. The the graphite is what I got. I got yeah. black and graphite because they wanted. I think they sent all the reviewers sort of paired up yeah, yeah. if they could. I got black and graphite, and that graphite phone is the most boring phone. It's just it, it's you know it's like space gray. It's like all their grays. It is this kind of dark silver. It is just a gray thing and if you don't want anybody to notice your phone and i heard from a couple of people who said i love the gray because it's boring right. and i don't want even anybody to even know that i have a phone like i just don't care then great i mean i guess but i i think it's sad that 
among the options for the pro, there isn't what I would consider sort of a fun color. Um, there's just, you know, the gold band is apparently very pretty. Uh, but like at least the gray one that I got, it's just a, it's kind of, just kind of a boring phone and I'm comparing it to black. I'm not even comparing it to red or blue. Mm. I'm literally comparing it to black and it's the black is more exciting. I had an interesting moment a month earlier where when, when they sent me the review unit for the series six watch, they sent it with a, uh, iPhone 11 that I guess I could pair with it. And I just, uh. I never, I, I didn't even use, I was like, ah, I'll just pair it with one of my, I, I the last thing I need is another friggin' iPhone. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and again, it's just like, oh, this just feels ridiculous that I've just got this brand new iPhone in a box that I'm just going to send back to Apple in a couple of weeks without ever having really used it. But I, so I was like, all right, well, I'll open it up and look at it. And it was black. It was just a black iPhone 11. And I, I didn't even try, I never, I've still not powered it on even. It, you know, it's just there for me to pair with this Apple Watch for review. Cause I guess the, the, the reason they did this and they don't do that with most, in fact, I don't think they've ever done it with Apple Watch before, but it was the fact that you needed iOS 14 to pair with the uh. Series 7 watch. And they don't want to assume that you are going to personally upgrade your iPhone to, iOS 14 yet. You know, I think that's what they're thinking. Sure. They don't, you know, Apple doesn't explain themselves. But nope. anyway, I had this black iPhone 11 and uh, I was like, damn, that is a nice looking phone. And just I never know. turned it on. And I own the Graphite 11 Pro. And I was like, and I took it out and I'm like looking at it. And, you know, unsurprisingly, given that most of the time I've owned the 11 Pro has been in 2020, my 11 Pro is in near mint condition. Uh, Very, very good condition. Usually my phones are in good condition, but uh, this one is very, it, I like the black iPhone 11. It's just better looking to me. It just looks cooler in a way. I don't know. Yeah. My uh my review unit at the eleven last year was white and it, it's it's nice. Um my ten R review unit was coral and I thought it was gorgeous. I, I that that orangey reddish kind of color. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was I thought it looked really good and I was like, Oh, look at this, it's a fun iPhone. And when my daughter went off to college last year, um one of the things that I did as a parent who's trying to take care of their kid is I bought her an iPhone eleven. She'd always been using hand me downs, I bought her an iPhone eleven in purple. Mm. And it's not, it's a little more pastel-y than I would like. I think brighter would have been better, but it's gorgeous. It really is. It looks great. And she was very happy with it. And I thought, see, these phones can look fun and be fun. And and I think should be. I think that they're part of us and part of our personality and part of our, our lives. And I'm, I don't want to force fun on people who don't want fun. But I do think it's a shame that, that um, there aren't more fun options. And, and I, I criticize Apple for this in the pro line, but I should say I'm so happy that Apple has made another line of iPhones and they are doing fun colors. Yeah. Because if you look at the Mac, like <laughs> your color options in the Mac are sort of a, a, a silver and a somewhat darker silver and occasionally a goldish metallic. In, in only a handful of low end models. <laughs> and, and, and that's. And that's it. Right. Like you could, would you like the, would you like the space gray or would you like the silver, which is almost out of context. You can't tell them apart. You'd have to be next to each other. I had an iMac and the iMac pro. And I was like, Oh, look, the iMac pro is a little bit darker, but like it, it and, and like, I would love a blue MacBook air, right? right. Like I, I think go for it. 
anodize that aluminum to right. do it. Uh, but I'm happy that with the iPhone that they finally have gotten back some of that spirit of the iPods back in the day, which is fun colors because they are expressions of our, whether it's expressions of our personality for others or whether it's just a little jolt of kind of fun of like you look at it and you're like, oh, look at that blue or look at that black. Uh, it, it's a nice... It's a nice thing. So I'm glad that exists. It's just that I, I'm a little befuddled about why the pro model, like the pro model with color, it's this pretty drab color. Yeah. Totally. This is objective, not subjective. The pro ones, the state polished stainless steel flat sides are fingerprint magnets. I don't know that I read a review that didn't mention it. Uh, I, and if I did, it, you know, it was an oddball. Everybody mentioned it. I remember when I first started noticing it, I was like, is there something wrong? Or do I need to wash my hands? And I like washed my hands really good and dried them. And then it's like two minutes later, covered with fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me of, I'm pretty sure that it was a couple of years into the iPhone when I learned the word oleophobic. <laughs> oleophobic <laughs> count. Uh, coding. And it was like, oh, yes, thank you. This has been driving me nuts because my iPhone was constantly covered with fingerprints. And it's like, oh, this actually works. This is amazing. This is great. There is, uh, if there's an oleophobic coating on the stainless steel side of the iPhone uh, 12 Pro, that Apple should get their money back for it because it does, it doesn't work. It is a fingerprint magnet. And that's to me, there's no way. This one, you see fingerprints all the time. This other one, you never see fingerprints. That is better to me. That's objectively better in in and of itself, the the aluminum side of the regular 12. The other thing, I, I switched. So part of the very nice, unbelievably lucky thing about being somebody who gets these things to review and they send you both of them is you get to use them both. And so instead of yeah. just being in a store and spending 15 minutes side by side saying, oh, a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one. Okay, and now I'm going to buy. I have to make a choice. i got to buy one. I get to use them both. The way I did the review is I I used both. I set up both. But I spent most of my time with the 12 Pro because it had more and it felt like more likely the one I would be interested in. I'm used to having the three cameras now. Um, wanted to try the things like the, the Dolby 60 frames per second, you know, might as well spend more time with the one that does more because everything else they apply, you know, any, anything, everything that 12 pro can do, the 12 can do. Um, but I forget how many days ago I should, I guess I should, I guess I can look it up somehow, but uh, I don't know, four, five, six days ago, four or five days ago, I switched and I redid the regular 12 and I've been living on it for the last four or five days. I now that I'm living on it as my main iPhone, I like it even more. And my thinking, hey, I think that this being you know 20 grams lighter or whatever the difference in weight is, this is nicer too. Now when I pick up the 12 Pro, I'm like, why is this? This thing is like a brick. Like yeah. the di- you- I didn't think it would be noticeable. It is super noticeable. Like you get used to it, I'm sure, but like. When I pick up one and then the other, it's like, oh, yeah, this is like, no, it's lighter. You can tell. It's not one of those things that you have to trick yourself into thinking is a difference. It's a difference. It it feels more noticeable to me. Um, when I was using the 12 Pro as my main phone, every time I picked up the 12, I was like, oh, my God, this is so much lighter. It's nicer. Now that I'm using the 12 as my main phone, when I pick up the 12 Pro, I'm, I, it's more 
because it's worse. And it's like, this is so much heavier. And it's not just for the camera lens and LIDAR, right? Camera, these little tiny cameras don't weigh that. It's the steel. Uh, the stainless steel weighs more. I, I've been using the stainless steel phones since the iPhone 10. I, you know, they are nice. There's nice things to be said about them, but aluminum being lighter and not having fingerprints and having a matte texture that is really mm. nice to the touch and picks up these wonderful anodized colors. It, this is great. I mean, and it's good news for everybody out there. You can, you can save $130 or whatever the price difference is and get a more fun, better phone that doesn't have fingerprints on this side. Yeah, and unlike the 11, where it was also a larger phone, so people who are sort of turned off by that would right. be like, "All right, well, I'm going to get the I'm going to get the 11 Pro because I don't want the the bigger phone in my hand. It's a little bit too big." Now they're the same size in the hand, and so really, it's a matter of you know a few features that are on the Pro model and 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 style and personal style preference, yeah. and and that's yeah, I I, I found myself surprised in, at discovering that my personal preference would be the lower end model because usually you know it's like oh well I'm a nerd I care about the details I'm gonna get the higher end model and I was like no I prefer the lower end model as weird as that is because it just feels nicer to me or or and and everybody's taste is different again but right. uh it, it it was very clear i have a very clear preference for that the 12 it's 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 really good and apple again apple is the world's single best company when it comes to aluminum as far as i can tell like they are the experts on what you do with aluminum and that aluminum in the on the on the edges of the of the 12 it's great yeah it's well done uh just it's a tiny little thing but I feel like even the mute switch feels better in aluminum than steel. And I only really noticed this when I went to the 12 as my main phone and I went back to the 12 pro and I'm like, you know what? It feels sharp. It, it's too sharp on the 12 pro. And maybe now at this point, I'm just like, it's like the placebo effect and I'm finding things to like about the 12 than the 12 pro, but the buttons, they just feel better. I don't know. I really like it and just feel like the stainless steel is, needlessly and i just wonder and i wonder how much of it carries over from the watch like with the watch i get it like steel is nicer for a watch and they use it you know it, it's you know famously it's been used for wrist watches for you know 100 years it's stainless steel is a very nice material to make a premium watch out of um and i like having the heavier watches um i i'm used to it with my regular watches. Uh, but aluminum is great. It's also a great material. And most people who aren't wristwatch wearers like having a lighter watch. So it's like the fact that the aluminum Apple watches are cheaper than the stainless steel ones is like, it's very similar to me to this distinction between the phones where it's like, oh, you get all the same features and sensors and it's lighter too. Oh, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, I have one other thing on this front. Oh, um, the screens being brighter that the tech specs say the iPhone 12 pro has a HDR content. They have the same maximum brightness, but for typical use for non HDR content, there's like a 800 versus 600 nit typical brightness. Um, I don't see any difference in brightness between these things at all. And I spent too long trying to find it 
<laughs> I was like, why am I wasting all this time on this? I didn't even wind up. You know, do you ever go down those routes when you're like doing the side by side? And it's like, wait, I just blew 90 minutes trying to figure out why, if this is brighter or not. And it's like, and ended up with nothing. <laughs> well, I ended up with like my one minute, my one minute into it opinion. These, you know, I said yeah. both to about, you know, whatever I would set them at as a user up in control center as brightness, look at them side by side on the same web page, look at some photos. Uh, they look exactly the same. Exactly. I don't know what the difference is that would justify putting that in the tech specs. I, I tried to ask Apple and not that they, they, they didn't give me a straight answer, but basically they said, I'm not crazy that I think that it's the same brightness. I think, I think that what they're doing, but won't say is that they're, they are the same components. It's not like, they're, oh, they're using a different manufacturer. Or it's, you know, if you take it out and put it under a microscope, you'd see, oh, this is a totally different screen technology in the 12 than 12 Pro. I think that, like, as they're coming off, the ones that test better, they put in the Pro models because they're spec for higher brightness and that their screens are such an organic manufacturing thing that there is some natural vari- minor variability between, like, your iPhone 12 and my iPhone 12. Mm. Um, but basically that is definitely, that is not a reason to get an iPhone 12 pro. There is no noticeable day-to-day brightness difference. It's not like, oh, well, when you go outside, you'll see it in sun. No, that, that, that's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're very close. They're very similar. In, In fact, this is an interesting area where Apple probably could have done, made, made a greater effort to separate them than it did. And I like that it didn't yeah. because it means that you really have, have some very specific choices. And if you want to go with a lower end phone for, you know, style reasons or whatever, you can do that. Um, you mentioned in passing, I just wanted to say, I, I love the iPhone five. I also never used a case on the iPhone five or five uh, S. Um, and I've been using the 12 without a case. And I always had a case on the on the six and up because it had the curved edges, and I always felt like it was precarious. And I currently have, you know, I I still my plan is to not wear a case on it because it is it just it feels more safe in my hand. Yeah. And maybe it's not, and I'll drop it and I'll regret everything, but it feels safer in my hand, and that makes it so much smaller and lighter too. Just not having the case stuck on it. Yeah, I think so. Even though I. Typically, don't wear the other one with the case either. But I, I putting the yeah, case I went on to a leather case for those, and it's fine. But I am so happy to not have to have a case on it and mm-hmm. feel like it's safe enough. How cool is it? I love this little detail. I didn't pick up on it that the uh, there's like an NFC chip in the Apple's cases, and when you put it in a case, and the mag MagSafe indicator shows up on screen, it's color coordinated with your case if it's an Apple case. Uh I read about that and it sounds really cool. I have a black case for my black phone. <laughs> so it doesn't really do anything. I, I excuse myself fine. for not noticing because I picked Apple's default blue wallpapers. There's like default special press of the screen and you know, they're, they're these wallpapers that you only get specific to the model phone you have. And I picked them right. to make it easy for me to tell which phone I'm using so I can remember while I'm using it. Um, but those wallpapers I've chosen are blue, and the case they sent me was blue because the phone's blue. It's like blue is, you know, let's send John blue everything. So I just thought the blue was because my wallpaper was blue. And then they, they also did send me the clear case. And the clear case, of course, the color coordination is gray. <laughs> and I just didn't notice the difference. Um, 
<laughs> but that is a cool feature. That is that, and that is the little bits of what do we call it whimsy that we wonder if Apple has lost. You know. Yeah. Right. Right. The idea that your phone knows exactly what color it is and what color its case is. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's very fun. Five uh, G. I I wrote about it. I know you said you wrote you didn't get any five G service. Did, uh, yeah, I, I I have a five G SIM here that AT and T claims will uh, let me see the five G that's apparently at the end of my block, and I can find out whether it's actually any faster or not. I haven't driven into San Francisco where they have the five G ultra wide uh, band, the ultra wide band uh, stuff. I haven't I haven't done that. I'm an AT and T person. We don't even have Verizon people who with Verizon phones who come to my house say, why do I have no service? Because it's like that here. Um, but did you see where I wrote about 5G in my article? I'm a little bit proud of it. Yes, um, I did. It's, I... it's the it's the footnote at the end, after the period, at the end of the last sentence <laughs> yeah. of the review. And it literally says, 5G isn't that relevant for most people. No. And it's ba- it's basically a footnote when it comes to these phones. Because right. I was like, staring at my review and being like, oh God, I haven't even talked about 5G, but what do I say? I don't have it. Right. I haven't seen it. I also have thought for the last year plus that it's really kind of a marketing scam. Like it, it will matter to some people sometime, but right now everybody's just picking it up and running with it because it's a way to sell people on more expensive plans and new phones and like let's just get to it tim cook in the analyst call was like it's a once in a decade opportunity to market a new wireless thing it's like yeah it's an opportunity but most people yeah it's 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 not as exciting as they're making it out to be um and i i realized i had nothing i i like i literally have nothing to say i've written about the first 5g iphone and i have literally nothing to say about 5g uh, I got, I, I do have ultra wide here in certain parts of center city, Philadelphia, not super close to my house, but easily an easy walk. And I got it and I got extraordinary speeds. Uh, I saw that 4,000 megabits per second is the theoretical maximum. I got up to 2,700, um, which is really close. 2.7 gigahertz networking over the air on a cell network. And, uh, you know, I described it as holy shit fast. And yeah. and it's funny. I didn't know how to write it, but because but I also don't think it's a reason to buy the phone, and don't think it's practical. And uh, I, after, subsequent to my review, went somewhere where I did go indoors, and I outside the door of the establishment, I was getting five G ultra wide. I quick ran a speed test to make sure it was really fast, and I forget what I got. It wasn't quite twenty. 20 some, you know, it wasn't over 2000 megabits per second, but it was over a thousand, which is really fast. It was gigabit, you know, it's like me being disappointed that I'm I'm only getting gigabit speeds. Uh, soon as I went inside, uh, right to LTE. So like the, the idea that ultra wide is this thing that doesn't even go through glass is true. And again, sporting arenas and the idea that it deals with congestion, you know, that you're, oh, you could be at a concert and you'll still be able to post to Instagram, you know, because uh, that's great. We're not going there now. (laughs) But the ultra-wide, you know, so for the congestion, that is great. The ultra-wide only working outdoors, when is that actually practical? Like, I am amazed technically. And, and, you know, uh, my, my sparring partner on Twitter, Mark Gurman, um, called me out on it, you know, that I'd written before that I don't really think this is a reason to, uh, be excited about these phones because I don't see this isn't the main thing people are complaining of. This is even on the top of their list of what their complaints are with their phones is LTE speeds. Um, and I still believe that, but I also yeah. got 
truly amazing speeds with 5G ultrawide. It does work. It is amazing. It is worth noting. But I all still stand by my point of when when am I ever going to take advantage of this? <laughs> this thing that yeah, only at, works at a, on my phone, only outdoors. <laughs> like at a ballpark or in a or if you're like working in a park or something. But yeah, the fact that when you go inside, I mean it's like it's like a Wi-Fi hotspot too. The range yeah. isn't particularly yeah, great. Block by blocks in some parts of Philadelphia, I would describe it as a half a block. You know, uh, half of a city block get, has it and half doesn't, and it just immediately yeah, goes if you, away. If you told me that 5G would, 5G coverage would hit my house with something that would give me gigabit speeds at my house over wireless, I, you know, that's potentially life-changing because you could, like, cancel your cable internet yeah. and just buy an unlimited wireless plan. Um, but it's not that. And then also, let's keep in mind, most people still don't have 5G phones. Right. And, yeah. and who knows what it's going to be like when you know you know what do. happened with LTE. I, I remember I remember when I got my first LTE phone. I remember when I first had the iPhone that did the fake 4G on AT&T, if you remember that. Before they had fake 5G, they had fake 4G. Yeah, they, they always have a and, fake. They always have – you leave it to AT&T to always have a oh man, fake those next guys. gen. <laughs> so every time you flip over, you're like, oh, my God, it's so fast. But then you wait six months and everybody's on the network and it's not fast anymore because now you're sharing with everybody else. So there's also that kind of illusion of 5G speed. And I know that that is theoretically there, but I, even if it, it would be great if I go to a college football game next year at California Memorial Stadium and I'm there in front of, uh, of, you know, with, with 70,000 people and we're booing Stanford. Um, <laughs> and I can actually like take a picture and tweet it. And uh, it goes right out, yeah. or it goes on Instagram or whatever. It, thanks to five G, I'll be like, awesome, five G, good job. But what's probably not going to happen is I'm probably not going to get like a gigabit down. And why there, would right? you? Because how would you notice? Like what? Do you, yeah. How? Would, well, that's true. I'm download. I have to download a movie right now. But like, I'm just saying, with seventy thousand people around, if it's more reliable, that will be a nice feature. But that's probably it. The the <laughs> biggest the biggest thing we pull down is 4K streaming video, right? That's the biggest thing most people need to download, right? I mean, what are you doing? Are you downloading Xcode, you know, 11 gigabyte download through your cellular connection? I, I was thinking, I mean, you could come up with scenarios right. like I'm about to go on the plane and I've got this fast, I'm on a plane, imagine, and I want to download a movie before I go. Right. And like it downloads almost instantaneously. It's like, great. Okay. That's a very, very narrow Case. And that is like once a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. If you forgot, you know. It, and honestly, I'm more likely to download like some music, and I've done that on LTE yeah. or a, or a TV show or a movie, and it it goes pretty fast yeah, already. Right? So that's the thing is typical LTE <laughs> speeds for the typical things you actually download and upload are actually pretty good, and the problems are congestion and data caps, right? Like my yeah. Veri- I had to upgrade my Verizon plan to get all this to work because the old unlimited plan, one of the limits of the unlimited plan was it didn't include 5G, which is why I wasn't. Wow. 5G service. Well, it was an old three or you know three year old plan, Jason. Okay. You know what do you expect? Old plan. Old plan. <laughs> but uh, uh, you, you know you upgrade the plan and it still has data caps, and the data caps are now. It's like well, you could in theory reach it in you know five minutes. <laughs> you know, it's uh-huh. I I would much rather have LTE speeds and truly unlimited like my you know cable service at home where you could just use it as your internet all day every day. Uh, and not run into a limit 
uh, I'd rather have LTE service with literally true no limit, no no asterisk, no footnote, unlimited than 5G service with a 20 gigabyte monthly limit. I, it's just, I think it's more practical. But anyway, it, it certainly has gotten, I think you've had to bring it back to sports. The three major carriers, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile here in the United States are promoting the hell out of the iPhone 12 because it's 5G. Um, and I'm not cynical. I think it's, you know, again, if you're going to buy a phone to use for years, 5G will be a thing. It's good to have it. It is a little unusual for Apple to be early as opposed to late on this. And I know there have been 5G phones before, but nobody has really made like a mainstream, not this, everything else has always been like a special edition. You know, here's the Samsung Galaxy S20 and here's the 5G edition. Now, this is just the main iPhone 12. It has 5G. It's great 5G. It's the same 5G in all of the iPhone 12s. Um, but boy, oh boy, are the carriers online with it. You know, that, that to me is the reason Apple maybe was aggressive at rolling this out is it's gotten the carriers to be as enthusiastic advertising the iPhone 12 as Apple is. Yeah. I, I get why they do it. And I don't want to say 5G is worthless because it's not. It's just, if you're buying a phone today, like, is it like I wouldn't upgrade, but now I'm going to upgrade because of 5G? I just don't think it's a good enough reason. No. And that's all. And I will say it will be yeah. eventually, it'll be everywhere and it'll be better and that'll be fine. Yeah. But like, I don't, the way it's marketed, and I get why you want to market it this way is, oh my God, 5G, you've got to get 5G. And that's just, it's just not really true. Right. And, you know, pandemic isolation in my house aside, the fact that I don't really get five regular 5G anywhere I go in Philadelphia. So I have LTE just about everywhere, except for these narrow pockets and street corners where the 5G ultra wide is. Day to day, it doesn't make any difference. You know, it, it makes no difference to me. It what my life is like out and about using my phone on cellular networking LTE compared to 5G. It just doesn't. I'm glad it's there, but it, this is not like going from 3G to LTE, and there's nothing like going from edge to 3G was. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And the applications for it, I mean, we've gone back and forth about this, but like the applications for it, there are lots of stories to tell about why 5G will be better in this area or that area. And and that's great. But like, if you're just a person with a phone that's a year or two old and you're thinking, well, do I really need 5G? Is it going to really change my life if I upgrade a little bit faster? The answer is no. The answer is no. Unless you, um, you know, and and if it's yes, it's because somebody has said, doctor, we're going to do telemedicine and you need a 5G, whatever. But like, if you're just a random person, I just, you know, get it when it comes, when you're, when it's next in your buying cycle. Buy the iPhone 12 because you want a new iPhone and they're really nice. Not because they got 5G, because it's like, that's why it's a footnote. I was because it's not a reason to buy a phone. I would buy There it, are better reasons. I would buy it for the flat sides before the 5G. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Or if you want a pretty color, yeah. that would absolutely. <laughs> You'll notice it more. Uh, anyway, it wouldn't be Jason Snell on the talk show if we didn't run way over two hours. Um, I know. But we've already run mm-hmm. way over two hours. And, and talked about baseball. And so, talked about boy, baseball. We checking the boxes, aren't we? Uh, have you been watching the Letterman on the, 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 um, my next guest needs no introduction. I'll never get that. It does not roll off them, the tongue. I think I've seen them all now. I think I watched, so there were only four because they did yeah. two and then the pandemic hit and they did two more sort of 
in you know in in unusual locations. Yeah. But I, I've seen them. I've seen them all. I've I'm I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to make you jealous. But I haven't watched them yet. Oh, so I've oh. got them all ahead of me. I'm so happy. I saw good. I saw Dave on Jimmy Kimmel. I think it was two nights ago. But I watched last night, and he was. Uh, even over Zoom or whatever they were using, he still is not just well, my favorite talk show host. He's the the best guest. So you have now had spoiled for you the uh, David Letterman iPhone case. Yes, yes, I which have. looks like it's made out of like cardboard and duct tape, and it, it's with the one that he takes. Um, and he showed it on Jimmy Kimmel, but it's the one that he takes into CBS with Kim Kardashian <laughs> because that's a whole bit. It, I, I'm telling you, John, you haven't seen it yet. It's one of those moments that's like, oh, this is the Letterman who would, you know, back back when he could, he'd like go out on the street right. and and interview people, and and just he was just so good at that. And this is literally what if David Letterman, so David Letterman and Kim Kardashian walk into a CBS, <laughs> start of a joke, and then that's what it is yep. is just nonsense in the CBS, including this phone that is uh. like he's trying to Instagram. Uh, to make something go viral, and he and and it's in this ridiculous uh, uh, duct tape phone thing that that he has, and yeah, yeah, he. I find it funny that a guy who's been on TV for forty years, and yet, I think you can look at season one, two, and three of my next guest needs no introduction, and you can see him getting better mm. at the format. Yeah, I think that this season. He is way more comfortable with the format, even when the format changes because of COVID. And his Dave Chappelle interview is outside, basically like at Dave Chappelle's house in front of an audience, but they're all socially distanced and outside, right? Yeah. Um, even even in weird circumstances, I feel like he he had internalized the clock of network TV. And like with this season, I feel like maybe he's finally let it all go where he knows what this interview is. He knows what the show is going to be. He knows they're going to have some bits that they cut back and forth between, but like he seems more relaxed and, um, and, and a better interviewer. And also I think maybe has learned to deal with the fact that the people he's interviewing now are younger and therefore he's more almost legendary to them. Yeah. And that I, I don't think he knew how to deal with that. And I think now he's kind of figured out how to be self-effacing, but also like not let it get him off his game when they praise him and be like, you know, I appreciate it. That's very nice. I want to talk about you. But like, I, I think so as weird as it is, 40, 50 years into this guy's career, I feel like he's finally figured out his own show it, on this for this show. I, I'm so looking forward to it. I that That's music to my ears that you think the new season's better than the others. And that would be very typically Dave. My only regret with that is that I just feel I always wanted Carson to do something like that post tonight show. Something just he said he said on his last episode, he said, I hope uh, when I bring back something, you'll like it. And he never came back. Right. Yeah. Cause Except you, on Letterman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and but Letterman did did this thing, and it's I think it's an interesting combination of his sort of like skills, but um, also not um, not exactly the same, yeah. and like following his interests a little bit in terms of who he picks, yeah. and in terms of sort of like going to their houses and like talking to them and stuff, or or taking Kim Kardashian to CVS. Like it's a good it's a good way to for him to do something that honestly the last five or ten years he was on Late Show, I don't think he was particularly engaged with it. He was just sort of going through the motions to a certain degree. Um and he's engaged with this stuff. And I, I like that about it. I'm curious, not to bring this to another Apple related thing, but I'm curious what John Stewart's show mm. on Apple TV Plus is going to look like. Yeah, me too. Because that was a deal 
that has been reported, not announced, but reported that Jon Stewart's going to do a current events show, not weekly, hour long, single subject. And I started to think it's going to be, how much is it going to be like Letterman where he does, you know, five of them a year? Or is it going to be one, one a month? I don't know, but like, I feel like Jon Stewart's going to have the same challenge as Letterman, which is like, this isn't the daily grind of a show. So what do I do? And like, what do I want it to be? What am I good at? And like, for somebody who has been wildly successful, both of these guys are, are, they're trying something different and they have to actually think like, oh, I need to reinvent myself a little bit. What's that going to be like? So I'm looking forward to seeing what Jon Stewart does because I think he's going to have to go through the same process that Letterman has had to go through with this Netflix show. Right, and it's the same old argument that every artist goes through where constraints lead to creativity and a daily four times a week talk show or a daily four or five times a week fake news 30-minute at-a-desk show have these severe constraints of form that they just mastered within these constraints. And now they've got, oh, there are very few constraints, almost none. (laughs) Right. And so you have to decide, like, what do I want to... What, what do I want my format to right. do? What, what did I like right. out of the constraints right. that, that I want to, I want to place on myself. I want to constrain myself again. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing to watch, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm so happy that we've gotten this next, uh, act for Letterman. We talked when he retired right. about Johnny Carson never coming back and, at the time, I felt like Letterman's going to do a streaming something. He's going to just, he's something. Yeah. Like, the world is so different now that he doesn't have to go back to NBC with a package of things like Johnny Carson would have had to do. Right. He can just do whatever. He could do a, uh, I think I, what I said was, he could do a Seinfeld-like thing, like the Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee thing, which is also now on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, he could do something like that. And my next guest, Needs No Introduction, is kind of that, except bigger you know, the fewer episodes and then kind of a broader remit, but it's a similar kind of thing. So I'm glad we get we get more of him um, because he didn't he could just go off to his ranch in Montana and never be seen again. Yeah. And instead, we get him, you know, <laughs> going to CBS with Kim Kardashian. It's great. I can't wait. Uh, everybody knows where they can find your stuff. I don't even feel like I need to pitch it. But of course, six colors dot com uh, spell colors, whichever way you want. Yep. Um, and we just talked about the 20 for 20 podcast, which is on relay, uh, FM, uh, upgrade your, your other podcast or one of your 30 podcasts. <laughs> Many. You did yeah. host that one with Mike Hurley, the incomparable, which is a parent network of 40 different podcasts, thousand different shows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you just go to six colors and, uh, you it's all find there. it all there. Uh, my thanks to you, Jason. Good to talk to you as always. Always a pleasure, John.